1: Time out for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Look, this game's about production. You know, we, we can talk about hard hit balls, hard contact, but you guys can look at the numbers just like we can and he's just not getting it done from that standpoint and you know rather
3: than, than keep trying to run him out there and, and, and hope for a different outcome reality is I think he's more comfortable going down and being able to get his work in and try to get himself back to where he's a uh,
1: you know more than a productive member of this this lineup.
3: Alongside-
4: Tanner Hendrickson and Hannah Yates. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. That was John Mosaylock about two months ago when the Cardinals decided to send down Paul DeYoung. Guys, Paulie D is back, and I can't wait. It's going to be so awesome to see him once again in a Cardinals uniform. Katie Wu reported last night that DeYoung is expected to be added to the taxi squad this weekend. He is likely to be added to the active roster sooner rather than later. Of course, the trade deadline does play into this to some degree. Derek Gould reported yesterday, and we mentioned this. The Cardinals are at least listening to offers right now on Edmundo Sosa. Nolan Gorman's name is involved in current trade talks. You would assume with the Nationals, likely with the A's for Frankie Montes, potentially as well. So Paul DeYoung is making his way back. Hannah, this makes sense. I understand that people are going to be mad about it because people don't want to see Paul DeYoung. But in his last 20 games down in the minors, he's batting 285. He has an OPS over a thousand in those 20 games. He has eight home runs and 25 RBIs. Listen, I don't know if Paul De Young's going to be productive when he gets back up. My assumption would, if you gave me the truth serum, probably be that he's not. He's not going to be a particularly productive player at the plate. However, he's good defensively. You're not getting anything offensively right now out of Nolan Gorman other than the one home run the other night. And I do think that he can help you more than what you're seeing right now out of Edmundo Sosa. So... As much as it's going to be frustrating to watch if he does not produce, I do think it makes sense to call him up right now. This is the right time, in my opinion, to get him back with the Big League club.
2: If there's a right time, this is the right that's time, right. statistically speaking.
4: Uh, and that's all she's got for you. And that's all I
2: have. I mean, if we get 2019 Polly D, I'm on board with it. I think that'll be great. If we get 2022 St. Louis Cardinal Poly D, eh, not a great time for that. I get
3: that. Yeah, I. I understand the decision to call him up to see what you got. And honestly, I just think this is bringing him up to hopefully boost trade value for next year. Cause I have a hard time seeing Paul DeYoung on the big league roster in 2023. I, the way the offense has been struggling, you call him up. It sounds like Sosa is probably going to be dealt at the trade deadline. So it makes sense. But to BK's point, I'm not expecting much production from him. I, I think Paul DeYoung is essentially a four, a player, which means we, he can hit triple a pitching major league pitching. He's got no shot.
4: What do we think his role is when he's back? Like, so Let's assume he's going to be back on the major league roster by the end of the weekend. And let's also assume that Edmundo Sosa is traded. And that's what the move is to get him back on the active roster. What does Paul de Young do for this team? Like, is he a starter? Is he starting for you at shortstop? Does that depend on what we see over the weekend from Nolan Gorman? Does it depend on a trade for Nolan Gorman? What do you guys think they do with Paul de Young? Once he is back on the roster and is active.
2: It, it depends on all of that. And I think it does depend on his bat production. I mean, I mean, consistently speaking I mean are you going to throw him out to shortstop and then move guys around if he's consistently hitting are you going to utilize him as a DH that's been an option thrown out there is that really your best option at DH I don't know Corey Dickerson's been better lately but then what are you going to do this is an all-star right now (laughs) pools is an all-star right now are you going to use him at DH I mean what are you going to do it's I think they're going to it's going to depend on a trade if they would package Nolan Gorman in a trade moving forward at some point before Tuesday then there would be space for that. I don't know. It's going to be tough to tell, but I think we're just going to have to find out based on how he does when he gets called up.
3: I think right now, if they if the trade is Nolan Gorman is sent out, I think Paul DeYoung becomes your everyday shortstop. And that stings to say, considering I saw how that went early on in the year. But I think that's what they'll do. I think they will put DeYoung at short. They'll make the argument, well, you know, Tommy Edmond better defensively at second base, Gold Glover there, uh, and they'll go with that. And then if Paul DeYoung continues to struggle like he did when he was up with the team the first time around, maybe what you end up seeing is Edmund then goes back to short, and then you put Donovan at second base. Uh, the tough part about all this is every guy that I just mentioned there has struggled recently. <laughs> like, Donovan's yep. going through a cold spell. Tommy Edmond's going through a cold spell. Nolan Gorman, if he's here, he's going through a cold spell. Sosa hasn't hit all year. Like, the whole middle infield. Has been an issue that we thought it could be for the Cardinals this season and what they do. I don't know if there's really going to be a puzzle piece that meshes well together that you feel comfortable with. I think the rest of the year is going to be kind of this uncomfortable feeling of what the middle infield's going to look
4: like. I think the middle infield is the new outfield. You remember a couple of years ago when we were having all these talks about, okay, who's going to get all of the playing time? I think it was going into the 2020 season. And it was like at the time you had Lane Thomas and Dylan Carlson as a young guy who at that point didn't have any major league experience. You had uh, Tyler O'Neill who hadn't broken out yet. You had a bunch of guys that were going out there. Justin Williams was on the verge of potentially making his way up. And you didn't really know how it was going to piece together, but you knew they were going to throw all of the numbers at it. I think that's what they're doing with the second base and shortstop situation right now. Paul DeYoung's going to get an opportunity. You're going to see Tommy Edmond. You'll see Nolan Gorman if he's still here. Uh, Brendan Donovan will continue playing some in the middle infield whenever you've got uh, Juan Yepes or potentially Juan Soto uh, patrolling in the outfield. Like, all of these guys are going to get opportunities, and then it just comes down to your point, Hannah, where it's who's producing. If none of them are producing, then I think they lean towards defense. And your best defensive alignment right now is with Paul Young at shortstop and Tommy Edman at second base. I know nobody wants to hear it. I get it. It's not exciting, but that helps your pitching. And right now the pitching is a serious problem for the Cardinals. And maybe that helps him play up just a little bit pitching wise. So I think that's why he's back. It makes sense. I'm not excited about it, but I do think there's at least some upside here if he's able to capture some of what he's had down in AAA and he's got his head on right. Here's another question for you guys. I was thinking about this this morning. I think I'm more excited to see the Nationals this weekend than I am the Cardinals.
3: Me too. It's a (laughs) fair assessment.
4: And that's not to suggest that I'm not excited to watch Cardinals baseball. Like, we haven't watched a whole lot of Cardinals games over the last two weeks. We've watched, I think, two of them in basically the last two weeks now because of the All Star break. And then going into this, you just had the quick series in Toronto. Five of them, I guess. The Red Series, technically. I forgot that happened. Um, I don't
3: blame you if you forgot
4: that one. But I'm really excited to see what Juan Soto looks like on the other side of the field against this Cardinals team with John Mosaylock and Bill DeWitt Jr. reportedly in D.C. as they're having the trade conversations right now. That is a subplot that is just so juicy going into the weekend.
2: It's just so against the Cardinals DNA. In a situation like this, like, I'm just baffled by this. When I heard that Bill DeWitt Jr. was in attendance there, I'm like, what is going on here? This is just now I'm kind of on the bandwagon of this actually might happen. I thought there was pretty much no chance the last time I was in here a couple days ago. And now I'm like, oh, this is wild. This is wild.
3: I my ideal situation. Look, I'm still hesitant of the trade for Soto, but walk down this path with me. My ideal scenario this weekend is I see Soto pulled from the game either tonight or tomorrow night and then he just reappears in the Cardinals' dugout because he's been traded. And then he gets an at-bat on Sunday against his team in Washington and hits a home run. It's like the ideal scenario for me, but if that's not going to happen, Miles, take it a little easy on Soto. Make him look good. That way DeWitt sees him and he goes, wow, this guy really is good. Hudson, you just do your thing because I know you'll give up a hit.
4: Come on, man. We didn't it, I mean, or you're a not lock. wrong, but
3: walk, it's good. John walks.
4: So I can't wait to watch him just in general, because Juan Soto is awesome. And so every time you have an opportunity to watch him is great. I heard yesterday, Mark Feinsand of MLB.com, and he's like one of the most plugged in reporters that's out there. He said he thinks that. If Juan Soto is not traded by Sunday, he doesn't believe that Juan Soto will be dealt. And the reason why is because Mike Rizzo doesn't like having his back against the wall. Mike Rizzo wants to deal from a place of leverage. He wants to be the guy that is getting more than what he is sending out. So if you don't have it done by Sunday, maybe even into early Monday, you're now kind of Up against it when it comes to the clock You have to be racing against both Time and also what these other teams Are willing to give you so he doesn't think That he would trade him at that point I really hope that Juan Soto is traded Like Saturday night and I hope it's to the Cardinals of course because that would make it just Seeing him In Washington D.C. against The Nationals in a Cardinals uniform I can't Maybe I'm wrong here 65780 is your comfort Service text line to get involved in the show I can't imagine there's been a scene like that at the trade deadline in recent memory where a guy of this caliber just goes to the other side.
2: I was like, going to say of this caliber, because didn't this happen last year? Was it Jay Hap who literally just walked down the hallway? Oh yeah, I
3: did switch. Oh,
4: yeah. <laughs> he
2: just switched uniforms.
4: That's right. And then it just happened recently with the Royals. They were heading they to New York. They literally were bringing Benintendi
2: with them yes. to New caliber, York. I'm pretty caliber, sure. Caliber, a little different there.
4: 100%. Yeah. <laughs> D- different types of players yes. there. But it did happen there. And the other thing is that's in New York. That's not a hometown hero or anything like right. that. This is Juan Soto in DC in front of his own fans as a guy that was 19 years old when they won the world series. And he was a driving force of winning that world series. He's got two and two years left of control. So I, I can't think of anything that is similar to this. Imagine being a
2: Washington fan in attendance oh. during that moment. I would leave the game. I would leave immediately.
4: I wonder what the reception would be. i I would have to imagine he would get some sort of standing ovation just because of everything that he's done. But I do wonder if there would be some boos. Like oh, I
2: bet they would be angry saying that. It's sad. Reversed be it, sad. right? Yeah. Put
4: him in St. Louis. He's been here. He just won a World Series three years ago. He's 23 years old. You think of him prior to the last three months as the face of your franchise and moving forward, this is the guy we're building around. And then he declines a $450 million contract. And now, you know, we're not going to be able to build around this guy anymore. And he's dealt to the team that you're playing. I would have to imagine there's at least some sort of a conflicting element of your mind of who's to blame here. Is it on the organization? Is it on the player? Who am I mad at?
2: It's not the there's player. definitely a lot of anger. It I would definitely be, be organizational. 50. 50. Don't you think? I, I don't know.
3: Because it's tough because like. I think Buster said it to us earlier this week, because of the ownership sale, the new group coming in is probably the ones that are forcing this to happen. So I'm not sure if you'd be angry at the organization or you're mad at the player because he turned down the contract extension. Uh, So I think there'd be 50-50 split. I think some people would be mad at Soto for turning down record money. And I think some people would be mad at the organization for just moving on from a franchise caliber player. I think it's tough. I think it's a 50-50 split.
2: Yeah. We saw that in St. Louis. With Albert? Yeah with Albert
4: especially if he would have come back in like 2013 I think he would have had more booze than cheers yeah but because it was so long there was so much time in between I think that was good for both parties I know that everybody was upset about it at first because it took so long for Albert to get here Mm -hmm. I think it ended up being a really good thing for both parties that he didn't come back earlier in his tenure with the Angels there's one other piece of audio that I want to hear from yesterday this is Ken Rosenthal on the Fox Baseball Broadcast He was talking about the Cardinals and some of the decisions. I think the Cardinals are the most interesting team at the trade deadline because they are involved in these Juan Soto conversations. And also they seem to be involved in every starting pitching conversation as well. So they've got a lot of irons in the fire right now. Here's Ken Rosenthal talking about how it might be difficult for them to do both trading for Juan Soto and also getting one of those top starting pitchers available.
1: The Cardinals are perhaps the most intriguing team here,
5: and they too have the players, perhaps more than any team, have the players that might satisfy the Nationals, but they're also in the market for Frankie Montas, And from what I understand, some of the same names are being mentioned in both Mm -hmm. trade discussions. So you can't duplicate players. (laughs) You're gonna have to make a choice, perhaps, and it would be difficult to see them getting both Montas and Soto, but right now, they really, really need starting
6: pitching.
4: We talked about this a little bit yesterday. Katie Wu said something similar in her article where she said, she said hey, there, there's some overlap here in the players that are being asked by both the A's and the Nationals. My opinion yesterday, and I continue to believe this today, Frankie Montes cannot be the reason why you didn't get Juan Soto. No. If, like, for example, Nolan Gorman is the guy that both teams want. Well, he's a headliner. This isn't just a throw-in, right? We're not talking about a low A, like a Malcolm Nunez. No disrespects to him, but he's not going to be the guy that ends up making or breaking either of these deals. If you don't have Nolan Gorman in the deal for Juan Soto, because you're trying to acquire Frankie Montes, the nationals will just move on to the next team because Gorman is one of probably the top two to three players in that deal for Juan Soto. Potentially. I would much rather trade a guy of that caliber for Juan Soto than I would be for Frankie Montes. Who's who's good. He has good velocity. He's got swing and miss stuff but he's had injury questions. His last three starts have gone for a combined nine innings because of his shoulder issue that he had very recently. And he's got one year of club control left. Man, if you're telling me just like, it's going to be more for Soto, of course, but you can have either Soto or Frankie Montes. This is not a hard decision for me to make here.
2: No, this wouldn't be a hard decision if it was between Frankie Montes and another starting pitcher, in my opinion, if it was of worth. I mean, we've talked about Pablo Lopez about a lot of guys who would not require the same uh, type of caliber players of giving up in your farm system like it would for Frankie Montas. Like, I just don't even view that as a conversation, in my opinion. And maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe the Cardinals view it differently. But I'm looking at Juan Soto and I'm like, okay, this is a guy you would give up key pieces from your farm system. On Jordan Walker, I don't know. I know a lot of people are against that, but there's some starting pitchers out there who, in my opinion, are bringing somewhat similar value for a longer term who wouldn't require that, and I would I would pull the trigger there.
3: Yeah, I don't think Montas is that guy that'd be willing to part with like a Nolan Gorman, for example, because I view Montas as like a two or three in, in a rotation, probably more of a three. Like he's good. I don't think he's a top end caliber guy. Like Pablo Lopez. He's an ace. Am I willing to give up some actual pieces for Pablo Lopez? Yeah. Frankie Montas? No, not really.
4: I like both of those names. Like, I think I kind of view them in a similar light. They both have injury questions in their past. And I think that both of them in this rotation would be a really solid number two. Like, I would feel great about either Frankie Montas or Pablo Lopez starting in game two of a divisional series, for example. I'm going to probably have to give up less for Pablo Lopez. And he has an extra year of club control based on the reporting. Like I think that Pablo Lopez should be worth more than what apparently baseball thinks that he is worth. If that's the case, I would just rather go get that guy as opposed to giving up. So such significant resources for Frankie Montes, because it seems like other teams are valuing him more than they are Pablo Lopez. So I would rather go that route. And then like, for example, if you could get Pablo Lopez straight up for Tyler O'Neal,
3: sign me up.
4: I would have serious conversations Literally. about that right now. I, and I I think that that's at least in play. I'm not sure, but it, it feels like that might be what they're looking for. Craig Mish is going to join us coming up at 1130. I'll be curious to hear his thoughts on that. And then that also allows you to still have resources to send to uh, Washington for Juan Soto. If I could finish this trade deadline with Juan Soto, Pablo Lopez, and a guy like Noah Sindergaard, man, I... I suddenly view this team as a legit contender Now, it's going to take a lot And there's going to be some holes on your roster As a result of that But, man, if you got those three guys Coming out of the deadline That's the most significant day In Mo's tenure here in St. Louis Most likely
3: You've built your MV3 You've Added a legitimate ace into the rotation, and hell, just for fun, you went and got Noah Syndergaard to eat innings because you are dealing with injuries. So that would be a hell of a deadline. I don't know if they're willing to go all in like that, but that would be an A plus when you look at the trade deadline when we get to August third and we're reacting to it.
4: Coming up here in about fifteen minutes, I mentioned we've got Craig Mish joining the show. He's located down in Miami. He's super tied in with the Marlins organization. What does he expect to be the asking price for Pablo Lopez? Because I think I've joined Tanner's bandwagon there. I think he's probably my number one trade acquisition for the Cardinals when it comes to the starting pitching market. We'll talk to Craig Mish about Pablo Lopez at 1130. But coming up next, let's dive into the Blues. Because yesterday, Jeremy Rutherford had a really interesting article over on The Athletic. What can the Blues do to upgrade their roster before the season begins? The options are not particularly appealing. We'll tell you who they are next here on 101 ESPN.
1: (laughs) We're right back to the P.K. and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Doug
6: Armstrong. I don't not that there's a blockbuster deal out there, but something will go down. Before the beginning of the season, because the Blues have to. So now, does Army spin that into a big deal? Does it? Does he, you know, say screw it and try to make a blockbuster deal? Possibly. David Pasternak. It's in. It's intriguing. Now, somebody asked, what's a
1: pasta trade look like? Well, it would be Tarasenko. It would be Tarasenko for David Pasternak. That's what the trade would be. That was Jamie Rivers on the fast lane
4: earlier this week, talking about how the blues can continue to upgrade this roster after they missed out on Matthew Kachuk alongside Hannah Yates and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie, in 10 minutes. We'll be joined by Craig Mish of swings and Mishes, the podcast that is located down in Miami. I want to ask him about Pablo Lopez and what it's going to take to acquire him from the Marlins. That's coming up in 10 minutes, but he and I did want to talk to you about this because Earlier this week, Jeremy Rutherford had a really good piece over on The Athletic about how the current roster compares to that which we saw in the playoffs. So the Blues team that we last saw on the ice versus what they are today, and, I mean, it's impossible to argue that they're better right now. They lost Ville Husso, who was such a significant piece to what they did last year. That was expected, but it's a big loss nonetheless. You're not upgrading there. You have now lost David Perron, who was one of your best players last year. You've gotten worse as a result of that. So this is not as good of a team as what we last saw. But the rest of the West also, you could argue, most teams got a little worse or stayed the same. If you were trying to upgrade the roster now, this is where things get really difficult. Jamie mentioned David Posternock. We don't know if he's realistically available. But if he is, sure, you at least have to make the call. Do you think there's anything now that the Blues can do to upgrade this roster before opening night?
2: I mean, unless you would find and, and make some trade like that. But if you're talking in terms of who's on the market right now, I feel like the only name that people are really discussing is Nazem Kadri, who would not be coming to St. Yeah. Louis obvious for obvious reasons. Um, and I just don't think that's someone the Blues would consider, despite obvious reasons. And so I don't think that there's many options unless you would make a trade. I don't see them signing someone who's an unrestricted free agent right now, based on what I'm seeing in terms of what they're looking for, in terms of age, in terms of the youth stepping up, everything that we've heard the organization talk about and stress this offseason. I just don't see that. But it just puts the Blues in a really tough situation. I thought there would be something done by now, and I'm surprised that there's not been.
3: And I'm with anna like i I don't see a move that they they can truly make that would really improve this roster. Maybe they're looking at a move like for pasta. if they make that trade occur if those are conversations that are going on, I think you improve maybe slightly, but it's not like anything that's uh overwhelming for you when you look at the roster. It's more of just a hockey trade. But other than that, like I look at the free agent market. They're not in on Kadri. It would be tough to even make that signing work if they were interested in Nazem Kadri. You There's, would have to
4: salary dump yeah, Tarasenko at that point. Exactly. And are you getting better by going from – like setting aside all of the off-ice questions about the move. Right. Are you getting better by trading Vladimir Tarasenko for cap space and then adding a Nazem Kadri? My my answer to that is no. No,
3: Exactly. And, and like I look at the forward group and you go, okay, well, what what could you do? Could you add a forward? There's nobody on the market that really intrigues me. That's kind of the low-level signings possibilities uh, I look at the roster. You're not going to trade like a, a smaller hockey trade like a Barbie for someone else to bring in. Like, I don't think they would do that. I wonder if one thing that they would consider, and I'm just kind of spitballing and it's just kind of throwing it out there. And I, because we know that they've been trying to potentially dump Scandela's contract. I wonder if there's a trade where you can dump Scandela in a pick and go get a forward that would help out a little bit. I, I don't know who that is. It's just kind of spitballing, but like, just saying that just shows the level of. Look, they look, feel like they're stuck in terms of what they have. Whether you view that as good or bad, I think th- there's a good argument to have that they are worse on paper than they were at the end of the season last year. But, I mean, they're not like a bottom feeder in the west they're still a top three top four team in the western conference i just can't see any moves that they make that i look at them when we get to opening night and i go wow this team's actually better than the one they finished with last season
4: so to to follow that up uh vegas in terms of the odds to win the stanley cup this year uh fan Sportsbook right now has the avalanche as the favorite as you'd expect coming off of their title last year they're at four and a half to one other teams in the west that are ahead of the blues right now Are the Edmonton Oilers at 16 to 1, the Calgary Flames at 16 to 1 as well? Same thing for the Vegas Golden Knights. And then you've got the Minnesota Wild at 18 to 1, and the Blues are next at 30 to 1. So you've got five teams, according to Vegas right now, that would be viewed as being better going into the season than the Blues. But you look at that, I mean, the only teams in the division that are considered to be better than the Blues are the Avs and the Wild. So and even though— I don't we, think
3: the Wild are going to be as good. I mean, I know we saw a piece earlier in the year— or earlier in the year, earlier in the week on The Athletic that had uh, the all the riders took a poll, and they thought the Wild would be a team that would, could, you could see a significant step back. And honestly, I don't, view, I don't view Calgary as being up there above the Blues. Like, I, I view the Blues as the second-best team in the division, and I still put them top three, top four in the Western Conference.
2: I do the same. I mean, I'm looking at that situation. San Jose loses Brent Burns. He goes to Carolina. He's a 54-point defenseman despite being 37 years old. I feel like every team has taken some sort of blow in some way. And yes, San Jose acquired a couple of forwards and different things there. But I'm looking at the situation as I don't know if the Blues feel stuck. I don't think Doug Armstrong has ever felt stuck despite very few situations. If he wanted to do something right now, I think he could. I think that he could make a trade for Vladdy if he wanted to, and if Vladdy wanted to go to that team. Yes, he's stuck in terms of Vladdy having a list with him being restricted in that way with his no trade clause. But when I look at the situation, I mean, Doug Armstrong is either very confident in his youth. Or maybe something would still happen if there's a trade out there.
4: Yeah, it makes you wonder. Is there something that we're not seeing? Because like the the moves that Jr. mentioned in this piece, we're finding a trade for Tarasenko, which is what we just discussed. And like the the guy that he mentioned there is David Posternak. Just for money reasons, it makes sense for both sides potentially if Posternak is actually available. Signing Nazem Kadri, that's not going to happen. You could trade for a mid level forward, but if you do that, you're sending out somebody in return because you're cap in, cap out right now with the way that they're at money wise. Otherwise, it's like bringing in a third pairing defenseman, and as you mentioned, Tanner trading that Scandella deal for somebody that's cheaper. Maybe you could do something there, and then the only other option that he has here is you stand pat, you wait till the trade deadline, you see where you're at. I think that's the most likely scenario for the Blues is that we see what this looks like for the first three months, four months of the season, and then Army reevaluates where his team is and says, okay here's where we can make some marginal improvements. And maybe that means upgrading from a Jake neighbors on your third line, or it means trading Vladdy for somebody that fits in better with what they need on the power play or those kinds of things. That's probably the way that he tries to improve this roster. But I'm, if I had to bet right now, I would say there's not a significant move that is made before the season. I think what you have on the roster right now is probably close to resembling what it'll be on opening night with the one exception being, I think they have to dump one of the salaries that they have on the blue line right now to make it work cap wise. But I think that's like a, a low level move where they trade maybe a Nico Mikola for some sort of a draft pick or a prospect in the system. I think that's the kind of move that they're likely to make before the season And
2: they begins. have tried dumping Marco Scandella multiple times, and teams are just not picking up on that. Yeah,
4: which makes sense. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to ask us anything. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Tax line. If you have any questions, sports or otherwise, get him in on the Air Comfort Service Tax line. We'll do that coming up at 1145. But next, Craig Mish is as tied in with the Marlins as anybody. What does he think it would take for the Cardinals or any other team for that matter to acquire Pablo Lopez. We'll ask Craig next here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: few that know the marlins organization better than craig mish he joins us now via the brown and recruitment celebrity line alongside hannah yates i'm brandon Kylie. it's bk and ferrario here on 101 esp and you can hear craig mish on the swings and mishes podcast you can also find him on twitter at his name craig mish m-i-s-h craig we appreciate the time as always man how are you doing this morning
6: Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me as always.
4: Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So uh, the reason we wanted to talk to you today, Craig, is because uh, a guy by the name of Pablo Lopez has been brought up in trade discussions. And Craig, you've probably seen the Cardinals could really use a starting pitcher right about now. What is your understanding of Pablo Lopez's potential trade market and the likelihood that he's actually dealt before Tuesday's trade deadline?
6: Yeah, it's really hard to say right now, and and I think that the Marlins are probably going to do their due diligence on a lot of their players just to see where they stand, but it has been my understanding that the offers, or at least the asks that have come in, have not been to their liking, and I suppose on the other side of that, too, you know, the other teams are probably saying that the Marlins are asking for too much, but... Uh, at this point, I would say nothing is imminent with Lopez or even with anybody else on the Marlins. And, look, part of this could be the fact that there's a big name out there or maybe even two as a possibility of being traded. And maybe teams are using that as a first priority. Uh, but naturally, at least from my end here on Miami side, I can say that I don't feel that anything is imminent. Probably not the most exciting thing to <laughs> say to you guys here, but I, I, I try to keep it as real as I can. And so... Uh, for the moment, it seems Miami's in a little bit of a holding pattern, but obviously that will change before Tuesday.
2: Craig, because of the reasons you listed, there have been some uh, suggestions of what the Marlins would be seeking in return for a Pablo Lopez. We've heard that maybe the team would be looking for a lefty power hitter. Maybe they're looking for a power hitting center fielder. Is there any specific position or any interest that you've heard on the Marlins end that they would hope to acquire in return? Well,
6: uh, on the St. Louis side, there were some, you know, rumors and, you know, never, you know, when it comes to this stuff, I try to get as many opinions and, and try to talk to as many people as possible on it. But, you know, before before the season even started, I thought that the Cardinals were a pretty good fit for Miami because they had two players that could play center field, one in Bader and the other, obviously, in Dylan Carlson. And I thought maybe there was some discussion with that, with Miami trying to find a way to get a pitcher from Miami to St. Louis and and maybe the the, the Marlins get one of those center fielders back in return, but naturally nothing ever happened. I I just don't see, Hannah, a deal right now that sits out there that the Marlins can get a major league-ready center fielder back in return for Lopez There just aren't those kind of names on either expiring contracts or even long-term. I think that this is more of a deal where, Miami's going to have to go back into the offseason to try and find that. But if it was a prospect, then my guess is two top 100 prospects from any team that would come in have to remember Lopez still a little bit of ways away from free agency here. So I think that factors into the equation, too.
4: What do you think the Marlins response would be if the Cardinals said one of uh, not Dylan Carlson, excuse me, Tyler O'Neill or Nolan Gorman could be had for Pablo Lopez?
6: Yeah, I, I don't think so because, again, it doesn't really solve the problem that they have, which is center field. They have all these corner outfielders, uh, you know, and, and when you look at it with Soler, a corner outfielder, and Avisel Garcia, a corner outfielder. Their young prospect, J.J. J. Boudet, who they just called up, former first-round pick, more projected a corner outfielder. Jesus Sanchez, who you guys saw, obviously, in that series against St. Louis, a corner outfielder too. So that just kind of muddles things up a little bit more. They're just hell-bent right now. On finding an everyday center fielder, ironically, they had one in Starling Marte, hmm. but they let him go uh, after you know they traded him. They, they went back on the market again for him, but they weren't able to acquire him. So I, I think that the Carlson conversation is interesting in some way with Miami, and I also think that the the Bader conversation is interesting with Miami too. But I just don't know that that would be enough for for Lopez. I just I just don't think so. And and obviously, you guys are familiar with. Uh, you know, with the Cardinals pursuit of Soto at some point, I think that the Cardinals probably weighing in on that too, before they make a decision like that.
2: Craig, some of the big starting pitcher names on the market right now, of course, Frankie Montas, who we've, we've talked a lot about today, Luis Castillo, a lot of these bigger name guys, what makes Pablo Lopez unique um, for the Cardinals fans who are listening right now to where it could be of interest to the St. Louis rotation?
6: Yeah. So for me, and and I've watched all three pitchers, but it, it, for me, I would probably have Castillo and Lopez very close to one another and then Montasa tick down, at least for me. Uh, both Montas and and Lopez have had health issues, so if you wanted to put one above all of the others, maybe Castillo gets that nod, and and that's a guy that's always going to go deep into games. As far as what Lopez brings to the table, obviously he brings a little bit more control uh, in, in an organization than the other two. And he happens to be, as far as in my lifetime covering the Marlins, and this is going back a long way, one of the nicest players that I've ever encountered. He's just a wonderful uh, person. He would be great. He's not. He's not going to be a rah rah guy in a clubhouse, but he is certainly going to connect guys and be, uh, you know, fit in fantastically wherever he ends up. And so, from my perspective, that's a tough loss because, as somebody who covers a team or is around a team, I want as many nice guys as I possibly can but he's going to be fantastic there. And, um, you know, the the only the only thing that if you were to look at the other side of Lopez is that he's already reached his career innings. And and you guys have watched the Cardinals and Marlins play against each other with Lopez pitching for the past four or five years, and you may be wondering, well, wait a second, that's true. He's been around for a while now. What, what has gone on? He's had shoulder issues in the past that has basically ended the second half of his season the last few years. So that obviously has to be in the equation for any team that's acquiring him too. You'd be taking on a little bit of risk there.
4: Craig Mish is our guest for just another couple of minutes here on One Hundred and One ESPN. Craig, final question that I've got for you: Uh, I know that you are specifically tied in with the Marlins, but you're tied in with baseball people all around the league. And you you mentioned uh, the Soto conversations. There's also been some buzz today about, hey, maybe the Angels actually give consideration to listening. On Shohei Otani, I'm, I'm still skeptical on that. What do you find interest, most interesting about those two specific players as we lead into the trade deadline?
6: Yeah, it's. I, I think. I, I think if you look at the track record, and again, track record is not always an indication as to what's going to happen at this trade deadline. I think that would be unfair. But people who have asked me, and, and by the way, I don't think Otani goes, but in, in, as far as Juan Soto goes, and I know that, look, obviously, the Cardinals, you know, that, that that's a huge get if that ends up happening. But the the one elephant in the room I think that we have to be cognizant of is that the trade deadline last year, Max Scherzer was almost a Met until he was a Dodger. And a couple of years ago, you know, Hugh Darvish was not even talked about going to the Dodgers, and at 4 o'clock Eastern on that trade deadline, he ended up with the Dodgers. And if you even want to go the year before that, Manny Machado, who was not even on the radar, ended up with the Dodgers too. And so, if I was a Cardinals fan, my concern would be: Is at four o'clock Eastern? Juan Soto is a member of the Dodgers, <laughs> just <laughs> like just like Trey Turner was, and just like well, yeah. I mean, it seems like the Dodgers have no issues whatsoever. Uh, you know, putting together these insane blockbuster deals, shaving off their farm system, and even letting their players go in free agency, and just doing this constantly year after year. Yes, Mookie Betts was extended, but there's also a history of guys who have gone to L.A., and then they just go after the year is over. And all those names that I mentioned are probably in the same category. So that would be my guess for Soto. If I was a team around the league worried about the Dodgers, that would be my concern there just based on what's happened at the last few deadlines.
4: Craig, it's always great to catch up, man. Enjoy the next few days as we lead up into this trade deadline, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon.
6: Thanks for having me. Have a great one. Absolutely. Same
4: to you. That's Craig Mish of the swings in Mish's podcast. You can find him on Twitter. He's at Craig Mish. He's also a host over on sports grid as well. Uh, Hannah, the, the interesting thing there to me is that he basically completely shot down the notion of the Cardinals trading a Tyler O'Neill or Nolan Gorman for Pablo Lopez. It, it sounds like the Marlins are just saying, Hey, if somebody wants to give us a center fielder that we really like for Pablo Lopez. Yeah. We'll listen on that. Anything else you're offering, we're not interested in. And so if that's the case, like I would assume that Pablo Lopez probably is not going to get traded.
2: Would you give Harrison Bader for Pablo Lopez? I probably would. But if I'm the Marlins, I'm not
4: trading for Harrison Bader when I don't know what his future looks like right now. I can't trade for a guy that has plantar fasciitis who extracts most of his value from his speed. And right now he can't use that. So I if I'm the Marlins, I would be shocked if they accept that deal but sure yeah from the Cardinals perspective that makes a lot of sense I'm dea- I'm dealing potentially damaged goods for a guy that could start for me and give me 150 plus innings over the next two years as a number two or three starter
2: would so. you give Dylan Carlson
4: no no it's not like that's not even to me a conversation if right. they if they called and said hey we will trade you Pablo Lopez for Dylan Carlson I say thanks appreciate the call I'm not interested in that the only guys we're going to talk about this a little later Hannah there's been some pushback on the notion of trading Dylan Carlson. Honestly, the only guy that I'm even considering trading Dylan Carlson for is Juan Soto. Like the only reason I'm even talking about it right now is because Juan Soto is available. So I'm getting a one for one replacement. I'm not even probably dealing him for Shohei Otani. Like I'm, I I want Dylan Carlson to be a part of the team that has Shohei Otani unless I'm getting a direct replacement that I deem to be better than Dylan Carlson. I'm not trading Dylan Carlson. So to answer the question on Pablo Lopez, that's a, absolutely not for me.
3: Yeah, same for me. I, I'm not trading Carlson for Lopez. I, O'Neal, I would be willing to. Bader, if he were healthy, that's why the Bader injury is such a... That sucks, man. It, it sucks, because I think I would be willing to part with him, and I think the Marlins would have legitimate interest if he was not hurt. Gorman, I don't even think Gorman would be in the conversation for me to move him for Pablo Lopez. Like Because I'm giving up essentially six years of control of Nolan Gorman for a guy that I'm going to get to, and my motto with pitching is you never sign those guys to extensions. So... I the only guy that I would have interest in moving is probably Tyler O'Neal or maybe some prospects. If you can't land Soto, then I'd be willing to part with some prospects to go get Pablo Lopez. But just having that interview from from craig mish really kind of broke my heart because i don't think we're getting pablo lopez that was a downer of an interview kind of, yeah, kind like of, i could feel
2: the energy sucked out of the air <laughs> it. i was not expecting the negative response
3: i thought for
4: sure like i do think that just from a pure baseball perspective and hannah we see this in hockey all the time where you see two teams that make like a defenseman for a forward trade one team's really deep on the defenseman side of things one team's really deep on the forwards and then it makes sense naturally for both of those teams to make a deal the Cardinals are pretty deep in the outfielders, even though it doesn't feel that way right now because of all of the injuries. And the Marlins are very deep with their rotation. So where's the deal to be made? Well, there's a deal to be made with Tyler O'Neill for Pablo Lopez. I thought he would have been more receptive to that. And I wonder if the Cardinals made a call. And this is why we're hearing so much with them connected to Frankie Montes right now. And they're saying you're not interested in our guy that was an MVP candidate last year? All right, fine. We'll just move on to the next guy that might be interested in something else.
3: And I think it makes me wonder, too, that they don't view him as a center fielder. Like he said, they're desperately looking for a center fielder. And we know the Cardinals don't view O'Neal as a center fielder. The fact that he shot down Tyler O'Neal pretty quickly makes me think that ideally I think he could potentially play center field. I mean, he did it coming up. But it makes me think that the Marlins and a bunch of executives around the league view Tyler O'Neill as a corner outfielder.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I take two big things away from this. He did say potentially two top 100 prospects. Yep. OK, who would that be? I mean, you're obviously not trading your your top top of Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker, right? I mean, who are some of the guys that you would they would potentially want? It seems like they would want that position. They would still yeah, want center field. That's tough. The other point I picked up is that everyone's willing to just trade Tyler O'Neill right now. I mean, all the conversations we've discussed, it's like, would this even be a conversation at this point last season, though? No. I mean, take pitching out of the equation. Like, say it was the same situation, but Tyler O'Neill was hitting the same way right now as he was at this point last season and knowing what was coming. I don't think this would be a conversation.
4: So I think part of it is a contract situation. Like, he's got, what, two years left yeah. On, yeah. It, on his contract. And so I think that plays into it is there's just less control on him. Part of it is dur- certainly the injuries, and that's plagued his season this year. And then just the the frustration with his performance as well. It's been so erratic, so up and down uh, in his time here in St. Louis that in, also on top of all of that, you add in the alternatives where you've got an Alec Burleson who's very close to reaching the big leagues. You've got Brendan Donovan who can at least play adequately in the outfield. I know nobody wants to see Juan Yepes out there, but he, he can, can do it if asked to do so. And he can honestly this year he's been a better hitter than tyler o'neill as well so when you have all of those things factoring into it i do think it makes sense that o'neill would be involved in these conversations and even if he is not traded at the deadline and i would assume he's probably not going to be this is probably the only conversation that he was likely to come up in is for pablo lopez specifically i think he might be in conversations in this off season that's where i think it makes more sense for the cardinals potentially dealing but it's a good point like This guy just last year was a legit MVP candidate. And now we're talking about, ah, you want to throw him in for a conversation with Pablo Lopez. It it's crazy how much things can change over the course of one season. I think that's what that shows you coming up here in about 15 minutes. Let's get back to the real conversation that we need to be having. Juan Soto, Jesse Doherty covers the nationals up in Washington DC for the Washington post. What is he hearing? Are the Cardinals a legit contender for Juan Soto? And if so, Man, what is this going to cost? Is it Dylan Carlson or Jordan Walker a bust for the Nationals? We'll talk to Jesse Doherty about that coming up at 12 o'clock. Coming up next, 65780 is your comfort service text line for Ask Us Anything here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN you've got questions we may have the answers maybe text now to 65780 it's vk and ferrario's questions and answers on 101 espn
4: alongside hannah yates of ksdk and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon Kylie. alex is going to be back in on monday i wonder what the total number of hours is that he slept so far this week if i set the over under at like 20. I'm talking for the entire week. Are you guys taking the over or the under? The
2: under.
0: Okay. I'm going Definitely on the, the under. under.
4: That, uh,. Yikes. It's going to be rough on Monday, but we can't wait to have him back as we are at that point, 24 hours away from the trade deadline coming up in five minutes. Speaking of the trade deadline, Jesse Doherty of the Washington post is going to join us, talk about what he's hearing on the Juan Soto front. Let's get to ask us anything right now. This one comes from the six, three, six BK Hannah, which do you think is more likely the Cardinals acquiring Juan Soto at the trade deadline or Tanner, Finding a date last minute for this weekend?
3: Oh, easy. <laughs> Definitely Soto's going to be a Cardinal. I was going that with one Tanner. At least has a chance. I'm going with Tanner Soto on this one? one. Yeah. Oh no, Hannah, I got no shot. You can
0: pick. I have Soto. some
2: faith in you. Yeah, I don't have. Do faith. you? I mean,
0: she, yeah, she's only worked me four <laughs> yeah. times. I, so.
3: have, I have some faith. Uh, that was a mean text, text I'm already down because we're not getting Pablo Lopez. He's Gonna keep
4: kicking sh- you while you're down. Yeah. Let's get to this one from the 314. Guys, are you ex- are you excited at this point or sick of talking about the Juan Soto sweepstakes? I feel like I have heard this beaten like a dead horse. I am officially out on any more talks about Juan Soto.
2: Everyone is in a really bad mood for it being it's a been Friday. Strange. The sun is finally out. It's shining down. Bill DeWitt Jr. is in Washington. I don't know what more we have to say about this. I mean, yes, I feel both ways. We have literally talked it. We have talked about every angle about this Juan Soto possibility. But that is what we do. That is that is the excitement around St. Louis Cardinals sports talk right now.
0: Yeah,
3: I'm actually enjoying it. I'm not tired of it because do I think it's going to happen? No, I'll believe it when he's a Cardinal. Uh, that's how kind of optimistic I am about it. But... There's a shot that it could actually occur. You can see kind of the tea leaves that would lead you down to the path where Juan Soto would be a Cardinal. And then I just think back to, well, one, baseball is my favorite sport to cover, so that helps me in the Juan Soto sweepstakes. And then I just think back, like, if I were in Colorado, would I be talking about the Rockies right now? No. A lot of teams can't even be having these conversations that they can go get one of the best players who comps to a Ted Williams to go and acquire Juan Soto. So I'm all in on these discussions. I love doing this every day where we get to talk about Soto. That's why August 3rd is going to suck. I've, he's not here.
4: I've been surprised by some of this backlash, honestly. Because all we hear about typically is, ah, the Cardinals aren't going to do anything at the deadline. And maybe this is influencing some of these frustrations that people have because they're just assuming that they're not going to make the deal, which I guess I understand. But your team is legitimately being talked about right now in relation to every significant player at the deadline. Like, if there is a guy that you're t- That another team would want to have Juan Soto, Frankie Montas, even Luis Castillo, who's in the division the Cardinals have been attached to every player of significance has at some point between two weeks ago and today been connected to the Cardinals. That's really fun. And there's a reason for that. And it, it should also make you excited about the future of the Cardinals, even if they don't make these deals. You're being tied to all of these guys because you have the farm system to acquire literally any of them. If Shohei Otani became available, you could go get him if you wanted to. Juan Soto is available. You can go get him realistically because of the young players that you have. So, for me, this is fun. This is awesome. It's cool to see what the Cardinals have available and what other teams deem them to have right now in their system. And also, like the idea of any of these guys being a Cardinal is really fun for me. And just think so I that. love it.
3: Think how dull last year's trade deadline was, where you were at the, you were thinking, man, I don't even know if it makes sense to go make a move. So just thinking back to last year, I enjoy this way better than it was like, oh, J-Hap, John Lester, Cool.
4: 65780 is your comfort service text line for Ask Us anything from the 636. BK, Hannah, Tanner, St. Louis has been slated as the best barbecue city in America. Do you agree with that assessment or have you been somewhere else that you would say has better barbecue than St. Louis?
2: I'm going to lose a lot of listener support with my comment here first of all i didn't know that wasn't that a kansas city thing for a long period of time that was supposed to be great barbecue. i mean i understand i'm not on the bandwagon of that i don't eat barbecue really i don't eat red meat because you know some stomach issues (laughs) some preferences and so i'm really out for the count on most of this conversation
4: tanner you've traveled to you've traveled to texas recently did you have any barbecue down there
3: um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think I did, but I don't remember it being better than okay. what we have here in St. Louis. Um, I will say this. I, I enjoy St. Louis barbecue. What I had when we went to South Carolina was really good. I love the Carolina oh, barbecue. Their sauce, terrible.
2: Wait, have either of you had this? And I did. I did test the waters here. Dexter Barbecue. Dexter, Missouri. They have multiple locations now. I believe they have a location in Farmington. People text in here. Dexter yeah, Barbecue, fantastic! That's my dad's hometown, Dexter, Missouri. We take a trip down there. I've never see even the family. Heard of Dexter. What?
4: Should I have heard of Dexter, Missouri? Have you been I to Southern we were, Missouri I before? we were talking about the show for a second. Oh my! So no. what? I mean, the only thing, the thing that world? I've the only have thing, thing been I've been done outside
2: in, of St. Louis. Well, sure, but in the, Missouri.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I've gone on like float trips down in Southern Missouri, but I have no other reason, honestly, to go to, <laughs> to Southern Missouri. Go down there. Yeah,
2: it's it's a good spot.
4: What is it? What is the...
2: Have uh, you been I, to Cape? Have you been to Cape Jordan?
4: I have been through Cape, and I've gone to their... What is it? PolyEyes Eyes? You've probably pizza? been nearby. Okay.
3: Dexter's really small. Dexter. <laughs> yeah. It's smaller I, than my
2: hometown. I feel like
4: yeah, I, just I told, from a small hometown. I feel like I just told Hannah that I've never been to, like, <laughs> Kansas City or Columbia <laughs> or Chicago. <laughs> She's like, you've never been to Dexter?
2: Well, I thought people would at have least have heard about it. No, not never familiar with it. their I'm work. i it's great development.
4: Um, So, listen... Somebody on the text line said Memphis barbecue is unbeaten. I oh, I am not Memphis a barbecue is good. I'm not a huge Memphis barbecue fan. Rendezvous is fine. It's all right. I like Central better personally. I grew up in Kansas City, so here is my take on the barbecue conversation. Really quick, I think that the St. Louis barbecue is as good as anything you will have anywhere. There are just fewer places to get it here than there are in Kansas City. The thing that makes Kansas City unique is that there anywhere you go in Kansas City, you're going to find a really good barbecue spot and all of its pretty darn good. In St. Louis, there's like 10 places that are really, really good, but their ceiling is as high as anything that you can get in Kansas City. So that's kind of my takeaway on it. Can you get better barbecue here in St. Louis than you can anywhere else? I do believe that that is the case, but there's just less of it here. Is that fair?
2: I'm scared of the response
3: you're going to draw to that. That felt like sitting on the fence answer right there. That was tough. Let me just dance around the subject.
4: Listen, man, I am not trying to make our audience even more mad than they already are. (laughs) Coming up here in about 15 minutes, what are realistic expectations for Jake Neighbors in a top top nine role this year? We'll get into that coming up at 12.15. But next, Jesse Doherty is a Nationals beat writer for the Washington Post. What does he think ends up happening with Juan Soto? Does he expect the Cardinals to be serious players here? We'll talk to him about it next after I've made all of you mad here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: Outside Hannah Yates, that's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Right now, we are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to talk to the man that's been in the eye of the hurricane over the last week or two. And that's Jesse Doherty, who covers the Nationals for the Washington Post. Jesse, we only talk about this from the Cardinals perspective. So we're not circulating it every day as much as you are. This has to have been like the circle of your life over the last couple of weeks. How are you doing this morning?
5: Are you guys, did you guys call to talk about how Anibal Sanchez met to the <laughs> Yeah
4: Okay, come on, Jesse. it's still it's a, it's an open wound. We don't need to go there.
5: <laughs> I'm good. I appreciate it. yeah, it's it's been a busy week and a half, two weeks or so, but uh, it's fun too. It's good stuff So let's
4: start here, Jesse. What do you believe is the urgency level from the Nationals? I think this is maybe the most important question, at least in my opinion. What is the urgency for them to trade Juan Soto before the deadline? Do you believe that this is all tied to the ownership change? And if so, do you think that this definitely needs to be done by Tuesday?
5: I do not believe the urgency is necessarily tied to the the pending ownership change. I do believe, and I've been told that the front office... thinks there's a massive difference, and, and maybe massive is a too strong a word, a significant difference between the return in the next five days versus a return this winter. And the, the simple math equation is that three pennant races with Juan Soto is a lot more valuable than two in the same way that two will be more valuable than one, et cetera, et cetera. So as far as urgency, I think the Nationals still operate from a position of leverage in this case because they don't have to trade Juan Soto. If they don't, he'll be on their team next season. It's not like he's an aspiring or in the last year of team control, but I think everyone knows that there's a reason why they're doing it now. And that's because from a baseball standpoint, it makes more sense to trade him when he has more time left under control and therefore getting a bigger package. Now, is there some quasi way in which that actually lessens their leverage? Cause teams know they want to do it in the next four or five days. I, maybe, but I think if that's logical in some cases, it's negated by the fact that this is Juan Soto we're talking about and He's a transcendent generational talent that while maybe you would think that lessens the Nationals negotiating standpoint, the receiving team is getting one of the best players in baseball, if not the best hitter. So I think that might negate it in that case.
2: Jesse, we've been hearing that a couple of clubs um, are looking into the Juan Soto trade, but maybe the most likely would be the St. Louis Cardinals, the Dodgers, the Padres. Those are the three most common names that we're seeing in circulation, mostly based on farm system prospects or what they're willing to give up based on what they have Um, out of those names. Or maybe one I didn't mention, what is your take on that?
5: Yeah, I think. The the most obvious sort of characteristic is a good farm system. And I think that's why we've heard a lot about the Cardinals, a lot about the Dodgers, a lot about the Padres. I think even more so for me is the box you have to check on both the owner and GM side. I think from a GM standpoint, it has to be a team and a GM that is hellbent on winning not just this year, but in the next two. So are you looking at a really strong effort to make it to, to make the World Series this October? And then are you looking at a really strong effort over the next winter? and spring to build your team up for the next two seasons with Juan there. And then from an ownership standpoint, I think it's, it's worth remembering that while we're hearing 440 million, 15 years, all these massive numbers for a contract extension, Juan Soto is still going to make a lot of money in the next two years. So in terms of what that's going to mean for your payroll for any receiving club is that his next, his third year of arbitration is coming up. He could break the record there. His fourth year, since he's a Super 2 player, would be after that. He could break another record. So you're looking at potentially $60 million in just the next two seasons to to pay him. And that's without worrying about a long-term extension to keep him on your club beyond his team control. So I think the farm system sort of characteristic makes sense to me. And that's why we've heard St. Louis a lot. But I I think it's a a decision that goes well above that too, where the owners and GMs have to be willing to push their chips in now and also make a significant financial investment in the near future and and just forget the long-term future for now.
4: Jesse, do you have any teams that based on your understanding are actually standing out in the talks right now? Or do you think that we're still in the preliminary stages of the nationals trying to kind of assemble what the offers could even look like?
5: Yeah, I, I wish I had a better answer for you. I, National's, as you can imagine, have been really quiet on sure. this. Um, so I think anything I would say is more based on sort of the logic of it. Like the Padres seem like a really good fit for me because of AJ Preller's trade history and because of their system. Uh, you know, the Cardinals again, like we've talked about, make sense because of their system. I think when you look at them, you you see a big need for starting pitching as well. So you start to wonder if the allocation of resources from their farm system will be pushed toward a Soto-type player at this deadline rather than going away from the needs in their pitching staff. But yeah, I don't have an exact like sort of favorite or uh, or list of teams that are sort of on the ho- on the phone right now with Nationals.
2: If Juan Soto would be traded by the deadline, you mentioned urgency already, and maybe some of the reasons behind that or not behind that. When would you see an actual day of this happening? If you had to choose a day and say, "Hey, if Juan Soto is getting traded by the deadline, I see it happening by this time."
5: Oh, I wish I knew. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I could like get extra sleep and like chug a couple, <laughs> couple coffees. Um... I mean, I think the nature of these things, as we've seen in the past, or that they happen close to the deadline, I think that's when everyone gets a little antsy. That's when the receiving team kicks in another prospect. That's when they agree to take more of the money maybe than they initially thought because you start to hear other teams come in and, and the leverage goes up for the team that's trading. Because that, basically, like when you think about the difference between August 2nd and August 3rd is two months, whereas next winter, the difference between January 5th and January 6th for a trade is, is nothing. It's still two full seasons. So the, the urgency for any team right now is like we have, we have the chance to get this great player by trade. And for relatively, you know, I said the big investment earlier on his arb years, but for relatively low financial commitment, we have, we have a chance to get this generational talent for three pennant races. So I, I say that to explain that I believe it would happen close to the deadline. That's when teams start to get antsy and start to maybe pony up more than they initially said. So maybe we're looking at Monday or Tuesday, but again, that's just that's just conjecture.
4: Jesse Doherty is joining us here for another couple of minutes on 101 ESPN. He's the Nationals beat writer for the Washington Post. Uh, Read his work over there. They've done an excellent job of following this whole story from the start to where we are today. Uh, Jesse, I did want to ask you, in terms of just like, what it would take for the Cardinals. And I know some of this is speculative, but I've thought all along that if the Cardinals don't have one of Dylan Carlson or Jordan Walker in this deal, Carlson on the big league roster right now with four plus years of club control, uh, Jordan Walker, one of the top 10 prospects in the game, according to all of the publications, there's probably not a deal to be had there with the nationals. Is that where your understanding is as well? Or do you think that there's a way that maybe the Cardinals could get this done without including either Walker or Carlson?
5: Yeah, just combining what I've read about the potential return and also heard from the national side. I mean, I I know this might make some people in St. Louis gasp, but I wouldn't be surprised if the starting point of the conversation is both those guys. And that doesn't mean the Cardinals are going to do it. It doesn't mean it's, you know, it's logical or, or good from a baseball standpoint to partner both those players. But I know the nationals want both top prospects and guys who have proven themselves on a major league level. They are you know under three years, under two years of control like Carlson is. Uh, I know that they, it doesn't end there. It's not, wouldn't be a two player package. So I I think the fact that the nationals don't have to trade Juan Soto and the fact for all the reasons we've talked about the control left, the three pennant races, et cetera, et cetera, they're, they basically they want a deal that would make opposing fan bases call your guy's show and scream, right? (laughs) Like that's like, like that's what has to happen. So that's, that's leverage to some degree, but it's also why I think there's a, there's a pretty valid viewpoint that there's still a strong percentage chance it doesn't happen at all because of that, you know, because if you're settling for anything less than something that makes, you know, that opposing executives to hold their nose while making the call to say we accept, like that means you're probably not getting it. And I think that's, the leverage you have in trading a player at this age who hasn't really hit his prime yet. Probably uh, that's, that's what you're working with. So yeah, when I hear those two names from a pure sort of hypothetical standpoint, I'd say there's, there's a good chance they're asking for both, at least as a starter. And then you see where it goes from there.
2: Jesse from a Washington perspective, is there one Cardinals player prospect that you would be eyeing specifically or being talked about in Washington um, from the Cardinals organization that you would like to see in that package deal specifically?
5: Yeah, I haven't heard this from anyone in particular, but I think it's the Cardinals, I think Walker has, has to be involved because for me, like you can give away, just like from a math perspective, and I know people like hate war, right? It's you know there's a there's a camp of people that don't love that stat, but if you're trading away a player who is uh, a high war player, right? So let's say seven war in one spot, which is a great player like Juan Soto. You can piece together that number from four other roster spots but if you're not getting a guy who has the potential to also be that one day, to, be, to, to give you that much value in one spot rather than it spread across four or five, I think you're falling short in this deal. And That doesn't mean Jordan Walker or any top prospect from another team is guaranteed to be Juan Soto or someone of his caliber. But I do think you have to give yourself a chance to get that player from your other organization, the guy who the people in their camp are saying, he's going to be a star for us. He's going to be a, a multi-time all-star. He's going to be a six, seven more player, uh, or could be potentially. I think if you're not landing that guy in the package and you're more so taking volume back, that's like, you know, it's, that's like just taking a bunch of lottery tickets versus like sort of making an investment that's a bit more sound. So I know any top prospect is still a lottery ticket to a degree, but you give yourself a chance with the guy who's the most lauded, you know, the, the most lauded, the most sort of highly ranked by a bunch of publications and, and you go from there. So I would think he has to be included, but you know, we'll see, we'll see how it all shakes out.
4: Jesse, what else do we need to know here in St. Louis about the Juan Soto sweepstakes over the next 72 to 96 hours?
5: Oh man. It's um, a good question. I think that the deciding factor now uh, Will be if the Nationals can get what I believe to be an extremely, extremely high ask from an opposing team. I think I've seen some reports that say because Juan Soto turned down the biggest offer or because he's not you know going to sign long term, he's automatically going to be traded. I think that's a leap. I think that the Nationals are not 100% sold on dealing him. And so what it's going to come down to is how aggressive that team is, or multiple teams are. And and the worst thing that can happen from the Cardinals' stake is that if if they really truly are in it at the end is that multiple teams still are. And it turns into a bidding war because you're now going to give up more and more where we think of players going to the open market for free agency and that sort of upping their value and becoming sort of a, you know, a a bidding war of sorts with other clubs. Like the same thing can happen on the trade market, especially when the nationals projected this far out that they're interested in shopping Soto, this is not going to be like 12 hours. It comes together and, some team gets a great offer and boom, it's done. If there's multiple teams involved, this thing could get really crazy. And and you could start to be at a point where you're sort of compromising the top of your farm system, some of your young talent, and really, really going all in, but at the risk of giving it a package that's going to really hurt on the other end.
4: Man, that's interesting. Um, I, If you had to guess, Jesse, and I know this is putting you potentially in a bad spot, so if you don't want to answer it, I totally understand. You're a reporter. We're in the speculation business. Do you think this happens? Do you think it gets done by Tuesday?
5: Yeah, I don't have a direct answer. I think I've, I've, what I would say, and it sounds, I know it sounds like I'm coach speaking, you were walking around, is like, I think it's worth remembering the hurdles for this. Not only from an ask perspective, which again is extremely high, but also of the people in the room, like Mike Rizzo and the Lerner family, which is, you're exploring a sale of the team. Like the legacy aspect of this, too, is that you're going to be the ones who traded Juan Soto, who traded arguably the best talent to ever wear the Washington Nationals uniform in a short history. And this comes on the heels of them losing a lot of other really good players. Uh, Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, Trey Turner, Max Scherzer to free last year in the division. So I think there's a lot of fresh wounds, both in the front office and in the fan base. So there's a psychological element here, too, where there maybe are good baseball decisions to be made or, or to be explored. But you can't also discount sort of the hurdle that some people have to get over in their part, frankly, to make this deal. So I think... Without straight up answering what I think, uh, handicapping in any way, I think it's just important to remember that there are a lot of boxes to check
4: here. Jesse Doherty, you can find his work over in the Washington Post. He'll be following along all weekend and then into early next week as we continue to learn more about what it's going to take to trade for Juan Soto and if he ends up getting dealt. Jesse, this has been great to be able to get some information from you on exactly what the next few days are going to look like. Thanks so much for joining us today and what I know was a crazy busy time for you, man. Of course, guys. Thank you. You got it. That's Jesse Doherty here on 101 ESPN. Biggest things there. The return is going to be a massive difference between now and during the offseason. That's what he led with in terms of why there is urgency to get this move done right now. He also said, quote, they want a trade that makes listeners call into your show and scream. He added that, quote, I think Walker has to be involved and that in his mind, the Nationals are likely asking for not one of Carlson or Walker, but likely both Carlson and Walker. That's a lot. Um, let's start here, Hannah. I went over to the baseball trade simulator that everybody's been playing with over the last week or so. If they are asking indeed for Carlson and Walker, here's what that could potentially look like. Carlson Walker, Mason, Wynn, Tinkins, and Jordan Hicks, there's a five-player trade, including both top prospects in the minor league position player-wise, a high-end arm in Kens, who's down in high A-ball right now, but is striking out everybody that he faces, and the Cardinals absolutely love him, and I can promise you there are other teams that are interested in him right now. And then it involves Dylan Carlson from your big league roster. If that's resembling what the asking price is right now, does it change at all your appetite to trade for Juan Soto?
2: I would just like to say I've not wanted to trade for for sure. Juan Soto since the beginning, and I have stated that multiple days this week. Um, yes, I would not. I would not make that trade.
3: I'm with Hannah. I, I can't. I can't put Carlson and Walker in that deal and send it off to Washington. Uh, the rest of those pieces I would be fine with parting with, but in my opinion, it can't be both Carlson and Walker. Honestly, it, in my opinion, it it can't be Walker in general. Like you can include win all you want. I'm willing to listen. That You can have your choice of Carlson or Gorman if you're the Washington Nationals. Jordan Walker is an untouchable for me. He's the only guy in these trade conversations that I would say is untouchable. And if they're demanding Jordan Walker, then we're going to bring our chips in and we're going to fold and we're going to go elsewhere and go make moves that can help us with our pitching this season.
4: 65780 is your comfort service tax line from the 636. Of course he said that. He's a Nationals reporter. Why wouldn't he be wanting a huge hole? He's a reporter, guys. He's telling you what he believes the Nationals thinking is. This is not what Jesse Doherty wants. Jesse Doherty wants to write about one of the best players in the sport for the next 10 years. Like He covers the Nationals. The best case scenario for him, I can say this just as somebody that's in St. Louis, if the Cardinals had Juan Soto and they were considering trading him for pieces, the best case scenario for us on the radio is that they just keep a guy like Juan Soto. That's the same thing for the Washington Post. It's, more, it's better for them personally and professionally, to cover Juan Soto every day. So uh, this is not a biased opinion. He's telling you what he thinks that the Nationals are potentially asking for. Uh, To answer my own question, I I can't do that. I've said all along, if they're asking for one of Carlson or Walker, I'm willing to entertain it. I am willing to lose one of those guys in this deal because what you're getting back is a future Hall of Famer at 23 years old who you've got two more years of club control on. So I can do that. Losing both of those guys means that the rest of your outfield in future years you're starting to get thin there and like if you have one of Carlson or Walker to play in the outfield with over the next few years uh a Juan Soto I feel good about that that sounds great to me you lose both I suddenly it's it's looking a lot less appealing for me for the Cardinals so man that is that's a huge ask my guess is that's the ask right now I don't know if that sustains through Tuesday I and I think I'm,
3: that stays till Tuesday. I think that changes in the offseason.
4: I think what changes in the off season, the Cardinals are no longer a player. And the reason why fair, but is because I think suddenly the Dodgers are willing to trade players from their major league roster. I think suddenly the Padres are willing to trade people from their major league roster. Same thing potentially for the Giants. Maybe the Mets get involved. I know that they don't want to trade him in the division. But if the Mets are willing to trade some of their young major league players, I think suddenly the Cardinals. I think this is the only chance that the Cardinals have to trade for Juan Soto. This is it. If they don't get it done by Tuesday, I don't think they're involved in the conversations anymore. And that's why I think it all comes down to, are they willing to to give on that asking price? And if they are, suddenly it becomes a lot more interesting from the Cardinals' perspective. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to talk to Kylie McDaniel. He covers the minor leagues and prospects for ESPN.com. What would he do if he was in John lock shoes? Nobody knows the prospects quite like Kylie McDaniel from a national perspective. So we'll talk to him about Walker, Win, some of these guys that we've been discussing. How much would he want to hold on to those guys in these discussions? We'll talk to Kylie McDaniel about that in 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, what is realistic to ask of Jake Neighbors this year? That's next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101. ESPN.
4: Consider me skeptical of a report where the headline says, Angels Entertaining Possible Shohei Otani Blockbuster, and then you get into the actual story and it reads, Two executives with interest in Shohei Otani rated the possibility of he be, him being traded this way. Quote, very slim and quote, almost zero. A third said "there's they're wanting something like your top four prospects, end quote. All right. Maybe they're listening to trades. I would be absolutely shocked if Artie Moreno greenlights a deal at the deadline before the end of this season. And with that, we go out to the Brown and Crippen celebrity line to be joined by our friend ESPN's MLB insider. He's Kylie McDaniel. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at Kylie MCD. Kylie, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll we'll open up with this. Should I even be entertaining the idea of Shohei Otani being traded at the deadline?
7: Uh, Not really. Okay. I, I, don't, I, I think your read is correct that like oh they'll, they'll they'll see what's out there. If somebody wants to wildly wildly overpay that may make their job going forward you know easier to build around Mike Trout and you know all that kind of thing. But yeah, this doesn't feel like something that's going to happen anytime soon.
4: Do you think that the Shohei Otani thing is more real, or excuse me, the Juan Soto? I apologize. We're getting all of these big names that are now okay. available apparently at the deadline.
7: The, yeah, the guys on these trade value lists, you're like, well, he'll never be traded, but now they're all <laughs> being thrown around. Like, I mean, he might be traded, who knows? Yeah, the Soto stuff is way more real, and I think the reason it's more real is, A, turned down the biggest contract in baseball history. So, like, that's, that sort of puts you in unprecedented territory already, as the talent also does. And there's an ownership change coming at some point, which also is, like, a thing that isn't normally in place. You, it, there's a, plenty of situations like this where a guy's a year or two away from, from – free agency and he's probably going to leave and the team isn't competing. so You might want to trade him and they still don't do it. Um, But because of those other things, I think that that now puts you in a space where it sounds like you don't even have to like necessarily read and believe the rumors and the behind the scenes and executives say blank. Like there's enough weird stuff going on there that it seems like, oh yeah, they might actually do this.
2: Kylie on a scale of one to 10. How likely is it that Juan Soto will be in a St. Louis Cardinals uniform by Monday night?
7: Ooh, I'll give you percentage chance. So I'll say okay. it's 50% chance he gets traded. And I would say St. Louis is one of the three or four teams you'd say. Juicy. So that's, yeah, we'll say five to 10%. Wow.
2: Oh, okay. Wow, that was a hard blow.
4: Kylie, what do you think it would take? You you know, the prospects as well as just about anybody nationally, what kind of a package and all of this is of course, speculation, but just to give an example of what it could take for prospects call wise, what it takes to get a Juan Soto in your mind.
7: So the the sort of math that every team and every sort of uh, analyst worth their salt begins with is a, a concept called surplus value. So to do like a you know a broad overview of what that means, let's say a player's on a one year deal and he's making ten million dollars and you think he's a two win player, which is like an average everyday player. That guy is essentially worth twenty million dollars, or you know, sixteen to twenty, depending on what you think a win is worth. It's usually eight to ten million. So that guy's making ten. Let's say he's worth eighteen. He now has a trade value of eight million dollars. And then a thing that we've done at FanGraphs, which I now do at ESPN, is you can put a dollar amount on prospect as well. And often when there's a trade, like Chris Bassett was similar to the guy I just described, got traded. It was you know, he has a surplus value of like eight million, and he got traded for a prospect that I had rated as worth seven million. Uh, and JT again, and a couple other lower level guys. So like the math ends up being pretty close in normal circumstances. Now the reason I bring this up as like a starting point is with Juan Soto is obviously not a normal circumstance <laughs> because there's not a bunch of like generational 23 year olds entering their prime that have had MVP performance for four and a half years that come with two and a half years of um, control. So the reason that this breaks down is if you were to look at it, you'd say who are the most valuable like trade assets the Cardinals have. It would be their top prospects and then the sort of young big leaguers like, you know, Nolan Gorman. And it would basically be like name your four most valuable players. And that would start approaching the number or maybe equal the number of what this math would tell you Soto was worth. Now, the reason this is different is there's a bunch of market forces in play where you tend to round up on the player's actual sort of uh, paper value because there's no other players like this. Guys like this never get traded. You think it'd go up. Now, some people think that the Nationals have to trade him, and everyone is like hesitant to get killed on like a, you know, um, a Herschel Walker sort of trade. So, teams are going to be lowballing, and maybe you know, the price goes down because everyone knows he has to trade. But then you also have a possibly irrational AJ Preller entering the fray, uh, who I think is probably the most likely to. So, then it goes up. So, there's all these sorts of things. You start at that, uh, that, that value, which uh, one website that does this, baseballtradevalues.com, has it at $177 million. And the most valuable sort of trade assets that the Cardinals have are around 40 to 60, maybe 70 million. To give you an idea, So you basically have to string together three of those guys at the very top. So like, you know, Walker, Mason Wynn, Gorman, uh, those sorts of guys. You basically have to start with like two or three of them at least and then probably keep adding.
2: Kylie, if you were in the St. Louis Cardinals front office, would you even be considering the idea of trading for a Juan Soto? Are you only focused on starting pitching at this point?
7: No, I mean, you have to entertain this because there is starting pitching available every you know, six months at the trade deadline and then the offseason, and you can always address those things. We've seen teams sort of patch it together with openers and whatever, like you'd like to always upgrade it, but everyone's always looking to upgrade it, and some team always wins uh, the world championship. Uh, but you look at Juan Soto, and it's like, all right, we've got what looks like a Hall of Famer that's 23 with two and a half years of control this may never happen again in our entire lifetimes like you have to take this seriously and i know people you know my job is to tell everyone how good prospects are and teams i think have like over-adjusted to where they are now uh you know less likely to trade them than they should but if you just sort of think rationally about this, like, all right, let's look at, you know, Gorman, Walker, and, you know, Mason Winter, or, you know, whoever the guys are you're talking about, uh, what are the odds that three years from now when Jordan Walker will be Juan Soto's age, he'll have four and a half years of MVP-level performance seems pretty low and actually mathematically impossible. So, you know, you should want to trade a couple of those guys to get, you know, Juan Soto, and the downside is you agree to a, you know, $600 million deal, and then he gets hurt for a year and you get nothing for one of those seasons – uh, but with the extension, you're basically getting the rest of his career if you can do it, which I think would be sort of a prerequisite. Or, you know, some, some conversation would happen with an understanding that we're in the right area if you're going to make this trade. Um, it'd be a whole different thing if you trade for him thinking, we're getting two and a half years of this guy. Let's see what happens. Like, that would be a whole different thing where I could then see somebody not wanting to sort of belly up to the bar and say, like, Ugh, we're trading our, our four or five best players for a guy that we're getting two and a half years of. that. if one you know, run to first base goes wrong, he's out for a season. Like, that's, that's kind of terrifying.
4: I think that's what the Cardinals would do, Kylie, for what it's worth. Like, I I would be pretty surprised if they ended up. Si- I, I, It could happen because they've signed big contracts before, but they don't tend to be in the 10 plus year range. They shy away from that more often than not. So did, if I told you up front, like, hey, the Cardinals are doing this in the scenario that you mentioned of. They're going to get the two and a half years and then we'll see from there. Likely not going to be bringing him back. Does Would that make you less likely to make this deal from the Cardinals perspective?
7: Yeah, because then you're in a pushing your chips to the middle, and the scenario where it works is where you were pretty good, but not a World Series winning team, and this guy puts you over the top, and you win a title. Like if that doesn't happen, it will. When he leaves, and you get like a comp pick, and you lose three dudes or four dudes that are like you know top top tier young players, and I would guess at least one of them will turn into a guy that you're going to feel bad that you're missing, and you know hopefully not more than that, but at least one of them will. It's then like, okay, well, you know, look at like what the Royals did where they won a title and then lost the World Series the next year. It's like, all right, everything we did being bad for five years after this is worth it. If they didn't make the World Series those two years, it would look terrible, and I would imagine everybody would have gotten fired. Like, it's a very small margin, and it's hard to feel good about that going forward. Uh, whereas if you then say this is the, you know, the cornerstone of our franchise, we get the rest of his career, we'll pay him, I don't know, $50 million. Or who cares? We just want this guy? Then you can justify almost any cost at that point.
2: Kylie, you're fairly familiar with a lot of the top prospects in baseball. Jordan Walker, we've not seen him play in person. We've seen the stats. We've heard all about him. What is your take on him? And if you're John Moseloc, are you giving him up in a package by the deadline?
7: Well, so the reason you would be okay trading him is he is big, like listed at 6'5", 220, uh, is not a slam dunk third baseman, which then makes him corner outfield first base. And he's a right-handed hitter, right-handed thrower. So that then sort of backs you into a corner a bit on, okay, well, what's this guy going to do at the plate? Now he's answered, you know, sort of every question. He's two years younger than the best prospects at AA. Like he's doing everything you want him to do. He's got massive exit VLOs. It's potential 30, 35 home run power. Uh, But the margin for error, I mean, see this talked about in the draft all the time. The margin for error in predicting a right-handed hitting, you know, corner guy without a huge defensive value is if you miss by a little bit, look at Andrew Vaughn, Spencer Torkelson, like first base only, obviously, but similar kinds of guys. You miss that by a little bit, and all of a sudden it's like we got to send this guy to AAA, A, and he was just the number one prospect in baseball, or the number one pick in the draft, or the fourth pick in the draft, or whatever it is. Like you can't miss by much on that, and so that would be the argument for putting him on the table again. Like I said, if, for him to do what Juan Soto has done in his career is physically impossible because Juan Soto was already in the big leagues at this age and was performing about as well as anybody has. Um, so at some point, it's like easy to say, "Oh, we'll you know, we'll headline a deal with him, of course." Uh, but then if it's for two and a half years of a guy that you then wait to see go to free agency, then it's much scarier where it's like, well, this guy, you know, could be, you know, Troy Gloss, like just sort of, you know, Chris Bryant, like pick all, they're all obviously very different players and Walker is unique enough. There's not a perfect comp, Um, but you can just sort of imagine, you know, power hitting right-handed hitter uh, playing on a corner. Like you pick anyone you want, he has similarities with all of them.
4: The other two guys that get talked about a lot in these conversations, Kylie, and we're talking to Kylie McDaniel of ESPN.com for another few minutes here on one one ESPN are Mason Wynn and Nolan Gorman Gorman. Of course, we've seen a little bit more of because he's been up in the big leagues now for a month or so. And there's been the ups and of course the downs that come with being a young player who profiles the way he does in the big leagues. And then Mason Wynn, we saw in the futures game where he threw hundred miles per hour across the diamond. And of course that gets everybody very excited. What are your projections on those two players in particular?
7: So Gorman's a guy that I and most of the sort of scouting world have a lot of history with. Uh, I was actually working for the Braves when he was a junior in high school and I was based in Phoenix where he was. So I saw him a ton. Um, And I think there's a decent shot. We would have drafted him if I was still working there at that time. Um, (laughs) So, you know, he he fell in the draft for, like, unclear reasons and looks kind of, you know, insane now in retrospect that he fell because, like, he just demolished the minor leagues after demolishing the entire, you know, um, draft summer and is, you know, at various points is showing, you know, a little more swing and miss than you like. At various points was, you know, more of a hit over power guy. He's sort of shown different elements of himself. Uh, but like the sales pitch there is this guy's going to hit 270 with 30 home runs and play third base and be, you know, like a great sort of clubhouse presence, makeup guy that you feel comfortable projecting. So I think, I think you've probably seen a good bit of that so far in that he's played like a third of a season, has already hit 10 homers and has struck out, you know, 32% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you're getting that version of him where, you know, a couple of years ago, it was a little more like, oh, why is he, you know, why, why is he making more contact and power? so that's, I think, easy to understand. Mason Wynn is much more exciting. I think I, I and everyone else had him as like a compensation to second-round pick uh, when he went in that area in the draft and was seen as a – this is a dynamic talent both on the mound and at shortstop, has all kinds of tools, is the twitchy athlete, all the stuff you want, but it was just sort of unrefined. And this year it went from, I wonder if this will work, let's see what happens, still a lot of good markers, to – Oh, it's happening now! Like, uh, get on board. It's like the the meme from the office where everyone's just running out of the room. <laughs> just like, oh, it's happening! It's happening! Everyone go! Like, it's happening now. And it's not just a guy that can throw like 102 from shortstop and also can throw 98 on the mound, but doesn't do that very much. But he could, and has like a 70 grade curveball. Like, imagine a guy that's you're starting shortstop that also has Wainwright's curveball, but like doesn't really need to use it because he's playing shortstop. He, like, he's that kind of talented. And it's kind of hard because he's still 20 and he's in Double A. It's hard to kind of nail down exactly what he is. Like, he might be a top 10 prospect in baseball by the end of the year right now i have him in like the 20s and he started the year like 150 like he wasn't really in that conversation
2: john mozalak made the comparison of jordan walker to albert pujols this season in terms of being the best hitter at his position how realistic is that comparison in your opinion
7: Well, it's another one of those tough ones where it's like, do you want to compare this guy to like a slam dunk hall of famer and like local legend and all that? Like, you don't really want to, but yeah, if you're going to say this guy's got 30 home run power and he's hitting, you know, young for the level and all that, like he's doing all the same stuff. Yeah. And like pools, I don't think was seen as the, I mean, you guys probably know better than I do, but like when he came up, it wasn't like, Oh, this guy's going to be like the answer to all of our questions. Like it wasn't like when Bryce Harper came up, it was like, Oh, this guy should be pretty good. Let's see what happens. And you're like, Oh, he didn't play in the minors, Kylie. Yeah, it's like, all right, this, this guy's probably going to be pretty good, but like, oh, wow, like I'm going to be telling my kids about this. Um, I wouldn't expect him to be that, but like, yeah, in the same way that like any any 18-year-old that goes in the top 20 picks is technically better than Mike Trout at the same age, like if you want to play that game, then like, yeah, he's on that trajectory. He, he, he could be that that's on the table, whereas for most prospects, that's not on the table.
4: Final question that I've got for Kylie McDaniel here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Kylie, we've spent all of this time talking about the Cardinals prospects and then what the Juan Soto sweepstakes look like. Uh, the Cardinals have a big need for pitching right now, like a desperate need for starting pitching. If you were in Mo's shoes, who would be the pitchers that you would be targeting at this year's deadline, knowing who is reasonably available?
7: Well, yeah, I, I guess Luis Castillo is obviously the big name, and it gives you uh, multiple years of control, and so kind of answer some of those questions. I think he's generally the kind of pitcher the Cardinals um, tend to like. And I'm curious what you guys think about, what, what What is reasonable? What would you be willing to trade? Because, like, that's obviously, like, the big name. And every year, there's all kinds of second and third tier names that are available. But, like, what, I don't know. Do you just want to try to get some, uh, you know, uh, Payante kind of guys and just try to patch it and see, see what it works? Or, so, or do you want to try to go for one of the big fish?
4: Oh Let's start here. I would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if the Cardinals traded a big haul inside of the division. Like, after hearing kind of Moe's conversations on and off the record about this, I would be very 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 surprised if that ends up happening um as for the guys that we've talked about i mean it's been all over the place kylie i think you can make a case that they need somebody long term in their rotation so we had the pablo lopez conversation but they're apparently looking for a center fielder which the cardinals do not have available to them right now frankie Montes has been talked about we've talked about carlos rodan or nathan avaldi if those guys become available and we've gone all the way down to like Hey, what about like any of these rental guys or number five starters, Zach Davies types? Like, it's been everywhere, from the top end of the market to the bottom end of the market. So, anything you want to throw out there, we're at least listening for. Yeah,
1: I would.
7: I I would say uh, Rodon as a – I mean, he's got an opt-out that he's going to exercise, so it's a rental who's having a huge breakout year, basically was projected to be this guy since he was like 19 years old, and now he's like finally doing it. Uh, For a Giants team that's like not squarely in the race, and I I know I've read some things about how they may or may not want to trade him, but like, you know, trading a sort of second-tier prospect, not that win, like Libertor, uh, Walker kind of guy – But a second-tier prospect for that guy, like that, feels like the guy that will be the amount of impact you need, and you're not paying for multiple years of control. But I I don't think you rule out the idea that after he pitches in St. Louis, like maybe he'll want to hang around. Like that, maybe gives you a slightly better shot of signing a guy like that going forward. And because he has a slightly spotty history, I think the trade value and the ultimate contract uh, will not be as big as it would be for a guy who's just as good as him right now, but comes with you know five years of being that guy, like Luis Castillo does.
4: Do you think they could basically trade a bag of balls right now for Noah Syndergaard? If they take on the full deal.
7: Well, I, I think I've stated, I'm not in the, in the situation where I think I can predict what the angels are going to do at any given time. Touche,
4: <laughs> touche. <laughs> Kylie, we appreciate the you, time. Like <laughs> we appreciate the time as always, man. This has been great to be able to catch up and talk about some of these hypotheticals. Hopefully by Tuesday, we've got some more firm answers on what's going to happen in this trade market. We wish you all the best moving forward, man.
7: Yeah. And uh, I would also say uh, tune into the trade deadline show on ESPN uh, four to six uh, PM on the second and when one of these crazy things happens I'll be the one in the corner at the kids table with Jeff Passon shouting
4: I can't wait that's going to be great Kylie McDaniel always appreciate it man yep, thanks for having me you got it that's Kylie McDaniel of ESPN joining us here on BK and Ferrario so Shohei not an option uh, Juan Soto it's really interesting because I, I think Kylie kind of spelled it out correctly right where he says like hey listen are the Nationals going to ask for the world of course they are But the question is, does that asking price go down before the deadline actually takes place? And I think this all comes back to and Derek Gould's mentioned this a number of times from the Cardinals perspective. And I think this is based on his reporting. Be my guess is, okay, how much of this is the urgency of the ownership thing? Because Jesse said he's not sure that that's the the leading indicator as to why they're doing this. I tend to think it is if I had to guess, I I believe what Buster only said earlier this week. Where the new ownership group is going to come in, and they're going to say, "We want you to do our dirty work. I don't want my first thing that I do as an owner to be trading the franchise icon. We're starting out on the very wrong foot if that ends up happening, so you do that, and then when I come in, I can start fresh, and now we can start building it back up again, and we can blame the past ownership group for everything that happened previously, so I think that's why they want to do this now as opposed to in the off season, and if that happens. Well, then that no longer means they have the leverage. Now the Cardinals or the Dodgers or the Padres have leverage because you have to make this move. And that's when you no longer have to include both Carlson and Walker. So that's kind of where I'm at on that. I thought what he said about Mason Wynn particularly was really interesting.
3: That we should have made him a starting pitcher would have these kind of issues, would we?
4: <laughs> Touche.
2: No, we wouldn't.
4: If he's going to be a legit top 10 to 15 prospect by the end of the year, I'm okay. underestimating what he has in terms of value.
2: I have heard that from multiple people lately who say they believe Mason Wynn has been drastically underestimated through this process to where he's been the piece that they would leave out of some of these packages. Honestly, the only thing I took away from the entire Juan Soto conversation with Kylie was that he thinks the Cardinals have roughly a 5% chance of him becoming a St. Louis Cardinal.
4: I know people Hear that and they like get upset about it. So here's where that math comes from there's a 50% chance that Juan Soto is traded. So you've already cut off 50% of the opportunities for anybody to trade for him. So if the Cardinals out of that 50% have a 10% chance of acquiring Juan Soto, that gives them a 5% chance of being likely to get it done by the deadline. So basically, he's saying "Eh, if I break this thing up down into like four or five different teams that have any chance of being able to get Juan Soto. I think they're like third in the mix. I'm going to give them a 10% chance to do so, so 5%. That's how you get to that math. But yeah, when you hear it, and hey, a one in 20 shot of being able to get Juan Soto doesn't feel particularly <laughs> so optimistic. You're
2: saying there's a chance. Better
3: than zero yeah,
4: percent. Yes.
2: I was going to say.
4: That's fair. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, I do think that one conversation that the Juan Soto sweepstakes has forced us to have is to look internally at what the Cardinals currently have available to them. And there's one guy in particular that we need to talk about. We'll do that coming up at 1 o'clock. Coming up next, though, is the Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario.
0: Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open an Achieve It checking account today.
4: Let's dive into the junk drawer alongside Hannah Yates and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Tanner, what do you have for us today? All
3: right. So I've got four tables here. I saw this on social media a couple days ago, four tables, and you can choose just one of them. And these are four tables of blackjack and you get to go sit with these celebrities and play blackjack. Right. Are you ready? Table one. We've got Steph Curry, Aaron Rodgers. Oh. <laughs> we know how you feel about him. Just do that one And Kevin Hart. That's table one on table. Two, that sounds miserable. Uh, That's just because Aaron Rodgers is there. Table two, we've got Jeff Bezos, Megan the Stallion, Tiger Woods, and Tom Brady. On table three, we've got some goats. LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Danny DeVito, and Serena Williams. And then on table four, you've got Charles. Who were the the last two there? The last two, Danny DeVito and Serena Williams. Okay. When I said goats, I was mostly talking about MJ and uh, LeBron. and Serena. Uh, (laughs) And Serena. Uh, Table four, Charles Barkley, Josh Allen, Drake, and Adam Sandler.
4: You your four know, which one are you going with here? I can eliminate table one. Okay, just that's out of hand. actually
2: one of my go-to's. Really? Yeah. I think Is that it for Kevin fun. Hart? Is that why
1: you're going yes, to that one?
2: I just want to laugh. And that's why I'm going in between tables one and tables four, because Adam Sandler and Kevin Hart are two of my favorites. And I know I would be laughing the entire night at that point.
4: So you had Barkley, Josh Allen, Sandler. Who was the fourth one at table four? Drake. Drake.
2: That'd be interesting.
4: I think that one sounds the most interesting to me. I think Sandler <laughs> and Barkley being at the same table. That's my thought process. Yes. <laughs> I yes. would go there just for that and I don't think Drake or Josh Allen would screw it up so I, no, I'm pretty a good, good that that humor, Josh Allen's yeah.
3: kind of dull I saw him on yeah, the... Yeah, that's fine. You need somebody
4: that's just going to be able to sit well, he'll there and listen. just
2: be the quiet one. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I got no issues with that. No, I um, think, yeah. I have no interest in table one with Rodgers. I'm I'm good. Just Kevin Hart and Curry are my
3: go-tos for table one.
4: For sure, but Rodgers is going to try to outsmart everybody at the table I and he's going to no get mad at you for two. doing things that he doesn't want you to do. I, I'm good on that. Yeah, Jeff Bezos, I don't need to talk to Megan the stallion i think would be fun if you got like honest tiger woods and tom brady i think they could be interesting if you get public persona brady and tiger you're not gonna get a whole lot of stuff there
2: yeah
3: Ta- table three i just lose a lot of money based on what i saw in the documentary with mj yeah that's a good point he'd gamble me under the table
2: Although mj and lebron at the same table it would be cool
4: that would be would interesting be cool. and serena like i I actually think Serena would be She's a super really interesting ta- uh, person to have at a table. I think I'm going table four, though. I think it's Barkley, Josh Allen, Adam Sandler, and Drake.
2: I love Adam Sandler.
4: That would be that would be my who's, table.
3: Who's sure. your go Like, on that table, on table four, who's your go-to if you could only go with one? Like, I would say Barkley almost. I enjoy hearing Barkley so much. Hearing him talk basketball, and then he's just a funny character to hear him talk about other things as well. I think I'd go with Barkley over Sandler.
4: I think Sandler would be my, my number one.
3: I Sa- think
2: so too.
4: Sandler just has to have so many unbelievable stories. Like he he has friends from every walk of life, athletes. He's he's got a lot of friends, um, movies that he's been in. I I would love to ask him. Like, at what point did you decide in your career? And this was like the middle portion of it after the Big Daddy and um, all of the like early two thousands comedies that he did that were all excellent at what point did you decide my career is going to be me taking a vacation with a bunch of my friends and making like $100 million on this movie? Because <laughs> that was like a seven-year stretch of his catalog. So I I would love to have a conversation with Sandler. Yeah. I think he would have be Have you seen one. the
2: movie Hustle? That I haven't. Oh, it's so good. I don't want to oversell great it. great in that movie.
4: So... It doesn't, like, break any new grounds for sports movies. It's just a really entertaining sports it movie. Is. And I don't want it to be anything more than that. I just needed a really fun watch, and that's what it is. And there's it was a great. bunch
2: of active NBA players playing characters in there. I'm like, this is great. This is entertaining.
4: It was awesome. And um, Hernandez, Juan, Juan Hernan Gomez. Juan
3: Hernan Gomez, yeah.
4: Yeah, he he was the uh, the main character in it. He was awesome. He was really like, good at acting. Yes. At first I was like w- is this is this is yeah. Yeah, this is an athlete who's yes. actually acting really really well. So, uh the movie is well worth
3: your time I think if you got a better uh, path in acting than playing. Well,
4: yeah, he got cut.
3: Yeah.
2: He's got he's got a new home. He's in I think Toronto. But he made is more he? than enough money yeah. off that movie, that's for sure. He, he just signed a 1-year deal with
3: him. What
4: would be your number 1 guy or girl?
3: Number 1 person I'd want to go with just in general? Oh man, I would. I think it's Charles Barkley. I think Barkley's the guy that I want to hang out with. I think he's the same way. He's probably not as funny as Sandler, of course, but I'm sure he's got some crazy stories to tell from his days playing basketball. And honestly, just seeing the he way he lives life now. He also has friends in every walk of life. Yeah, he he's definitely one of those guys that's kind of like Sandler. Plus, I know more about like. Barkley's history than I do Sandler because remember I'm in that like there's that gap that I don't know a lot of yeah. Sandler's in that gap I
4: was about to say actually the gap is literally Adam Sandler's yeah. career yeah <laughs> exactly from like 2000 to 2015 the, have you seen any Adam Sandler movies uh,
3: well I've seen like, um, Waterboy have you seen Waterboy I haven't seen Waterboy oh, oh I've seen God. Big Daddy um, I haven't seen Big Daddy really? What's the? I'm drawing a blank on the name, but I've seen it, the golf one. He's in uh, Happy Gilmore. I've seen Happy Gilmore.
4: You okay. have to see That's that one. Have honestly, you seen Just
2: Go with It? With oh, I have uh, seen Just Go yeah, with It. Jennifer, Innes. Billy seen,
4: Madison. No. Nope. Have you seen The Wedding Singer? No.
2: How do you? Do you like comedy? I do you like, like to laugh.
3: Yeah, I like some comedies, but like I, I don't know. It's just I'm in that gap where I haven't seen any movies from like that time period. I feel like our
4: childhood, Hannah, was basically like the prime of Will. Uh, Will Ferrell in like the mid to late 2000s and the early 2000s was like Adam Sandler. And I'm more, those and were
2: my two comedians. I was not allowed to watch, watch all of the Adam Sandler movies growing <laughs> no. up, and then I watched them. And it's great, and it's funny. I am also a Will Ferrell fan, though. I'm more
3: a, I'm more of an action kind of guy when it comes to That's movies, fair. not so much on comedy. I like them, but I would much rather watch an action movie. He had a yeah. stretch
4: of The Wedding Singer, Waterboy, Big Daddy... Um, And then going into like Mr. Deeds, eight crazy nights, hot chick, anger management, 50 first dates, the longest yard, and click all from 98 to 2000.
3: I've not seen one of those movies. Really? Not one that you just named. Have I seen? Really? <laughs> it's crazy. They are all worth your time.
4: It, Every uh, single man. one You'll of them. You'll
2: go through some of them and be like, this is dumb, but you needed to see them. I'm going to have to take them.
3: a week off just to catch up on my times.
4: Alongside Hannah Yates and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. In 15 minutes, we skipped our segment about Jake Neighbors because we were running a little bit long, had to get to Kylie McDaniels, but... We want to talk about him. What are realistic expectations for neighbors in the top nine? We'll get to that at 115. Coming up next, we got to take a closer look at Dylan Carlson. We're talking about him as a potential trade candidate for Juan Soto. Is he the guy you built around, though? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The 1-1. Out to deep left center. And it is caught! Carlson with the catch. And this might be two. Throw to first. Double plays. Dylan Carlson saves the game here in the ninth inning. And that's lined for a base hit. Off the glove of Gosselin and into shallow right. Arenado scores. And the Cardinals back on top. 3-2.
4: Alongside Hannah Yates of KSDK and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. That audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. Dylan Carlson's putting up another really productive season offensively for the Cardinals. And right now, He's playing quite well defensively in center field. He has stepped up when you really needed him to in a big way. So far this season, he's batting 260. He's got an OPS plus, which is on a scale of 100 or 100 is exactly league average of 115. So he's been 15% above league average offensively so far this year. That's a hell of a season for a guy that is 23 years old and he still has untapped potential. And we're starting to see some of that power come through in a way that we didn't in recent years. So when we're talking about Juan Soto... A lot of the time, the conversation goes to, okay, well, you have to trade one of Dylan Carlson or Jordan Walker. And I think a lot of people say in that scenario, well, you of course have to keep Jordan Walker. Look at what John Moselock has said about him. He's batting 300 down in the minors right now. He's got a potential 30-30 in him. Like, That's the guy you have to keep. Hannah, I think I want to start here. I'm not interested in trading Jordan Walker. I've seen some people suggest over recent days that, By talking about him in a trade for Juan Soto, we're underestimating what Dylan Carlson is at the same age as Juan Soto. I don't feel that way at all. In fact, I would go the opposite direction. Him being a potential headliner in these discussions tells you how highly people view Dylan Carlson. He is a top 100 trade ship in all of Major League Baseball, probably. That is one hell of a statement in favor of Dylan Carlson. He's got a ton of team control remaining. And the only way that I'm dealing him is if I am getting a guy that I think is a legitimate upgrade that is at a similar age range than Dylan Carlson, and that's where Juan Soto comes into the mix. I'm not trading Dylan Carlson for Shohei Otani. He's not available for me. But in this scenario, you're getting a direct replacement potentially for Carlson. So that's where I wanted to start. But do you think that we have underestimated what Dylan Carlson is as we've had some of these discussions about Juan Soto?
2: I have mixed opinions on it because I think Dylan Carlson, there's just a lot of very high projections about him. He comes up. He started off very strong, and he's had dips at certain times, right? I know I multiple reporters talked to him during the off season. He's like, "Yeah, when you see all the guys around you getting a Gold Glove, like you want to be included in that at some point." You know, he made a lot of off season adjustments, but then he still struggled offensively at times this season. He didn't have as many reps as at, at certain points, like Bader and O'Neill, rightfully so based on the position. But I think it's tough to tell because I'm wondering if we would have this same conversation earlier this season when he was having struggles at the plate. Do you think we'd be having the same conversation?
3: I think St. Louis Elizabeth get him out of town. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it
4: just depends who you're asking because I think one thing that happens and I'm really concerned about this for Jordan Walker as well is that they get hyped up so much both based on the organization and then also people kind of taking some of the things that are said about them and, and twisting it in a different direction. Like Dylan Carlson was always just going to be a really good player there was never really a scenario in which I think Dylan Carlson was going to be a superstar. I don't think that's in the range of outcomes for him, but he's really good at hitting. He's going to hit for decent power. He's going to get on base at a pretty high clip. He plays excellent defense in the corner outfield. He can play center field for you. He's probably at some point in his career going to steal 15 bases. So he, he has a great arm in right field. He's a legit five to a player. He, he does everything pretty well, but there's nothing that he does that is excellent. Like just at this otherworldly um, level, so I think that just kind of changes the way that people view Dylan Carlson compared to like a Juan Soto who gets on base better than anybody in the last 20 years or a Aaron Judge who hits the ball harder than anybody in baseball right now or even a Jordan Walker where this is a guy that projects to be a potential 30 home run 30 stolen base player. That's different than what I see for Jordan, or for Dylan Carlson. So I think he was overhyped in some ways. That doesn't mean that he's not good. He's very good. It just changes the way that I think some people view him. And as a result of that hype that was put onto him, I think some people are underwhelmed. Some fans are underwhelmed by what we've seen so far from Dylan Carlson, even though he's been a super productive player in the two full seasons that we've seen him.
3: I think that's fair because I think when Carlson was coming up, I expected the guy that was going to be hitting like 290, right. had like 25 home run power. And that's just not him. He, as you mentioned, PK, he's good at everything. The only thing is he's just not great at it. And honestly, that could change, though, in a couple of years because I was reading, I think it was David Schoenfeld, was, it was a piece on ESPN where it was David Schoenfeld and Bradford Doolittle going through like where they'd like to see guys traded. And they were talking about Carlson being a piece in the Juan Soto trade sweepstakes. And they said that one of the comparables, I think we brought this up yesterday when Kerry was in, uh, about you know Dave Winfield, when you look at his baseball reference page, is on there as a similar, similar batter that could compare to Dylan Carlson, at least where he is age-wise right now. Well, if that's the case, I mean, look, Carlson's solid already. There's still a chance that Carlson just takes off with something. Maybe his power comes to in the next year or two, or his batter eye gets even better. He ends up hitting for more average and hits for more extra base or gets better on base percentage. Like, I think at minimum, this is the worst Dylan Carlson will be. Like, and that's saying something because he's hitting around 260, got the OPS around 750, and I think there's still more to that this year. I think Carlson is a guy that is always going to be a very solid player, always hit at minimum 260 and be showing what you've seen so far this year and last year, whereas adjusted OPS plus is at 115, which -hmm. it was last year as well. But I think the ceiling is still, I think there's still more to come from Dylan Carlson. He's still super young. He's not going to just take the league by storm like the Juan Soto type player did. I think it's going to take him a year, maybe one or two more years before you actually see him really take off and get to that next level that Cardinals fans really thought they were getting right when he got up to the big league level. So just as an example on this,
4: like we all think that Wander Franco is a really good player, right?
3: Yeah. Everybody would
4: agree with that. Wander Franco is two years younger than Carlson, so that needs to be said on the front end. But... Since coming up to the big leagues in terms of his OPS plus, which adjusts for ballpark and all of these different things, Wander Franco offensively is at 117, so 17% above league average. Dylan Carlson in that same stretch over the last two years is at 115. Dylan Carlson, in other words, has basically been as productive offensively over the last two seasons as Wander Franco. Now, there's some disclaimers in there. Franco is hurt right now. He hasn't played a whole lot of games. It's a small sample size for him, so you got to understand all that. But I could do this with another guy, Bo Bichette. We just saw him in in Toronto. Everybody would agree Bobochet's a really good player. He's a he was an all-star last year. This is a guy that everybody would want to build around as a potential shortstop of their future. Over the last 2 seasons in the same stretch that we're talking about for Dylan Carlson, Bobochet is exactly as productive offensively as Dylan Carlson has been. Now, there's some different value in being a corner outfielder versus being a shortstop, but I think that kind of brings to the table where he's at right now in his development. And these guys are in the same age range as Dylan Carlson is. If you're looking at guys that are under the age of 25, there's only 24 hitters in Major League Baseball that have been more productive offensively over the last two seasons than Dylan Carlson. This guy's really good. This is a player that you want to build around. And so I say all that to say this. If you're the Cardinals, Dylan Carlson's not a trade chip. Like he is an untouchable unless there is a once in a generation type of trade that could be made available to you. And that's what's being offered right now to them. If the Nationals say we're not trading you, Juan Soto, unless you include Dylan Carlson, I'm willing to have those conversations. But it's only for Juan Soto or like a Bryce Harper if Bryce Harper was healthy. It's got to be somebody at that level or Mike Trout if Mike Trout was healthy. Those are the guys that have to be coming in return for me to even have the conversation about Dylan Carlson. Otherwise, this is a building block, not a guy that you're looking to run out of town anytime in the near future. Now, with that being said, I mentioned I wouldn't trade Dylan Carlson for Shohei Otani. Let's get into this for a second. I want to say on the front end here, I would be shocked, absolutely shocked if Shohei Otani is traded at the deadline. It doesn't make any sense for anybody, especially the ownership group in L.A. It would go against everything we've seen from them. However, If Shohei Otani is actually available in the next 72 hours or so. And again, I can't say this enough. I don't think he's going to be. So don't take this and run with it. As if I say I'm saying to you right now that Shohei is available. The Cardinals need to trade for him. No, I'm not saying that. Is that guy at the number one spot on your board, even above Juan Soto as a potential trade chip for the Cardinals, given the fact that he both helps you offensively and as a legit ace in your starting rotation, Hannah?
2: Probably. I would. I probably would. I'd probably put him at one, and I'd probably trade Dylan Carlson for him. That would probably be in a package that I'm Ooh, willing buddy. to do. <laughs> I'm taking the opposite route. Maybe I'm just doing that for fun. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I do think that, I mean, I would love to see Shohei Otani in a Cardinals I mean, it'd uniform. be amazing. I mean, it would be great. This is all a hypothetical conversation of nothing that's actually going to happen, but it's fun to have. And I'd probably trade Dylan Carlson for him.
4: Here's my question, though. Do we think that he's going to re-sign here? Because he has one year left of club control. be fair, no. I don't
3: think the other guy is going to re-sign here either. But you
4: got two more <laughs> years with Juan Soto. I, I tend to agree with you, but I, I if I think show Excuse me. I think... O- I keep doing the same thing.
2: Third time's the take charm. Take three.
4: I think that Juan Soto would be willing to re-sign in St. Louis. I don't think the Cardinals would offer him the contract that it would take yeah, no. for him to re-sign here in St. Louis. I don't think Shohei would sign here in St. Louis. Whenever the free agency sweepstakes were taking place when he was coming over from overseas, it was basically stated, hey, I want to be on the east or the west coast. It turns out, I looked at a map recently, uh, St. Louis doesn't f- really fit into that criteria. Or the
3: gateway to the west or the <laughs> gateway true. to the east, whichever we way you're river, looking. Maybe that would
4: work gives for him. It yeah. the
2: best of both worlds. Good if you
4: assume that Otani won't resign here and okay, you only get one on year left statement. of control.
2: Based on that specific statement, that makes it seem like Otani would not sign here. I think Otani would sign here before Juan Soto would re-sign here.
3: Okay. I, okay, he, I think the Cardinals...
4: It's, because it's a weird of money. Thing. I think the Cardinals would be more likely to re-sign Otani because I think it would be closer to like a six-year deal than a 15-year deal. Yeah. I think that Soto is the one that is more likely to do the deal with St. Louis. So it's kind of this weird thing where... If you had it meet somewhere in the middle, that's the guy that would actually sign with St. Louis. And that guy was Paul Goldschmidt like two years ago. Um, But I don't think that there's really a middle ground for those two.
3: And the reason I don't think the Cardinals would do the Otani extension is because you're going to have to pay him to be a pitcher and a hitter. And I think the Cardinals, well, I'd like to think this, would be smart enough to realize he's probably not going to be a pitcher for the entirety of whatever that next contract's going to be because at some point he's going to break down and he's just going to be a hitter for you. And I'd like to think that's how the Cardinals would approach that and they would lean towards that Soto deal where it is more 15 years, sure, it's going to cost you half a billion dollars to do it, but at least you know that, hey, he's going to be an outfielder and unless there's just a major injury, we've got him locked up for 15 years in his prime.
4: Realistically speaking, Hannah said she would be willing to trade and Carlson for Otani are, are you guys include I this means that I'm not getting Otani I understand that but because there's only one more year of control left I'm not trading Walker or Carlson in any deal for Otani like I would be wanting to get in this scenario Otani and Syndergaard Syndergaard doesn't have a ton of value that, that's just a throw in basically for this but I would want both so that we have now bolstered my rotation and it's going to be good for the rest of this year if that means Gorman is going, maybe Mason Wynn is going, and you kind of build a, uh, a package around those two. That I can do. I'm not trading Carlson or Walker, though. Those are my top two trade chips, and they could not go in a deal for Otani. Okay,
2: let me ask you this. Why do you value Dylan Carlson so much more than Nolan Gorman? And I'm not saying that's wrong, sure. but what is your reasoning behind that?
4: Because of the profile that Nolan Gorman has, and I just don't know what that looks like three years from now. And, like... I don't value the pure power the way that other people might. I think that the Cardinals as a team typically value the guys that have more tools than that. So Nolan Gorman, not a great defender, not a great base runner. Mostly what you're getting out of a lot of strikeouts. Mostly what you're getting out of him is the potential of him hitting 30 to 35 home runs in a season. Otherwise, not great on base percentage, not a great batting average, not great defensively, not great as a base runner. But he slugs. And I just value guys that bring more to the table. So like a Jordan Walker, this guy's going to run the bases very well. It sounds like he could at least be a, if not a plus defender, a guy that is average in the outfield for you, runs pretty well, brings a lot of other tools to the table, hits for average, all of those different things. I value those guys more. And that's where the Dylan Carlson thing comes in. I know he's a really productive major leaguer because I've already seen it. I'm not sure on the Nolan Gorman side what he's going to be two, three, four years down the road.
3: And I and I agree with that because I think Gorman at his ceiling is like a lesser version of O'Neal. Like he's got the pure power, but he's only got that tool. Like you look at O'Neill's arsenal, he's got the power. Sure, he's inconsistent, but he's a five-tool player. Gorman's at best maybe a two, two-tool player. He ends up hitting for power and maybe ends up uh, becoming a really good defender at second base. I, he's not going to gain speed. So I, I view him as a tradable asset to BK's point. Carlson, the only guy I'm willing to move him for would be Juan Soto because I just view that as basically a one-for-one one swap in terms of, okay, Soto comes in, he's going to play ideally right field when Bader's healthy instead of having Carlson in that spot. But otherwise, Carlson's an untouchable, uh, just like I would have Walker as an untouchable.
4: Just as context on what it could potentially take to get Otani in this scenario, I put together an earlier, McDan- Kylie McDaniel mentioned the the simulator on what you can throw in again, these things are flawed because every team has different values on what they're going to put on these players. But just as a scenario, this is the kind of deal that you might be looking at. If you didn't include Carlson or Walker in such a deal, Otani and Syndergaard coming to the Cardinals and what you're sending out, the headliner is Nolan Gorman in this scenario. You've got Gordon Graceffa, who teams really, really like as a pitching prospect going that way. Mason Wynn is going to have to go in that direction. So you've sent out third slash second baseman and Gorman, shortstop of your future potentially in Mason Wynn, you've sent out Graceffo, you're sending out Tinkins as well, who is a potential pitching prospect down in high and also we're trading corner outfielder slash DH option from the left side, Alec Burleson. So you've traded five players, four from your minor league system, one in Nolan Gorman that's already on your big league roster, for Shohei Otani for one more season to after this year, and Noah Syndergaard. It's going to take a lot, but that's the kind of deal that you could potentially put together for a guy like Shohei. Is that something you would be interested in?
2: I would need it to be longer than a year. I would need to have guaranteed proof that he would be here after the year. Otherwise, I'm not doing it.
3: Yeah, and that's kind of the same where I am. I don't think I'm doing that because of just the year and a half of control. Yep. So what we've learned today, the Cardinals are
4: more likely to get Noah Syndergaard and, I don't know, throw in a Merrill Kelly than they are once oh, on so nice. or Shohei Otani. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into some NFL quick hitters, including some comments from Kyler Murray yesterday that we've got to get into. I can't believe he did this yesterday at the podium. We'll get into that at 1.30, but next— What are realistic expectations for Jake Neighbors? I think mine are going to be lower than a lot of people's. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: Jen looks for neighbors.
1: There he is. He scores. Jake neighbors is first in the national hockey league has given the blues a four to one
4: lead alongside Hannah Yates and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Jake neighbors is going to be asked to take on a significant role this year for the blues. Right now, if I was putting together together my way too early lineup for the blues, he's somewhere in your top nine. Now you can kind of fix it uh, depending on how you want to on where He is going to be in those lineup constructions, but my likely scenario will be he's somewhere in your top nine on opening night. Hannah, what are realistic expectations for Jake Neighbors in your mind going into this season? Because there are some that are suggesting and I I think I fall into this criteria. He's probably the one that's going to be asked to replace what David Perron did last year because you have no other guys that are in the top nine that are new. What are you expecting realistically out of him as a rookie?
2: Yeah, so here's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting him to most likely play on the third line. He'll play as a winger. He can play center. I see him on a wing. Um, I think it's going to be interesting because this is what I do know. Robert Thomas tallied nine goals, 33 points through 70 games in his rookie season with the Blues. Jordan Cairo, one goal and three points through 16 games his rookie season, then went up to four goals and nine points the next season through 28 games. So you're seeing a couple of reps here. Craig Berube is not a coach who throws a player into the top six right away. And granted, those years that they had their rookie season, I mean, they're jumping in with the team who goes on to win the Stanley Cup, right? So your roster is deep jake neighbors has the chance with this roster to move higher up quicker based on his performance than he did with a a year like in 2019 when you're stacked through your top nine so i think it's a tough situation here the fourth line identity has also changed with the blues since 2019 that was your grinding team you had oscar sunquist ivan Barbashev, alexander steen to win that cup Now it's a different identity, and this has become more of kind of an up-tempo team at times. So I think you'll most likely see him go in between the third and fourth line. That's not to say, I think, in his career he'll be a top-six player, but I think anyone who thinks he's going to make up for the points of David Perron is, is mistaken. That's not going to happen. You don't throw a young kid, how old is he now, 20? 20 years old into the lineup and and expect him to be, you know, 55 point guy more like, you know, it's just insane. That's not going to happen.
3: Yeah, I I think I said this after the I think it was a day or two after the Braun signing. Like, I think that Jake neighbors is a part of the solution to helping fill the void of the David Braun production that you're missing. He's not the sole guy that is going to be relied to fill that missing production because he's now putting up 57 points and scoring 27 goals. Like if he does, holy crap, we really have a star on our hands here in St. Louis. And nobody can expect him to yeah, do that. Exactly. I mean, that's the important part. I, I think expectations, you tell me if you think I'm off of this. I think maybe like 10 goals, 10, 10, 15, maybe is kind of my expectation. And around like 30 to 40 points is kind of what I'm hoping
4: for. 30
2: to 40 points would be high, in my opinion.
4: I think Robert Thomas's rookie year, just because of the amount of ice time that you'll see from Jake Neighbors this year, is kind of in line with what I'm expecting. He had nine goals in that year and 24 assists. I think that assist number might be a little
3: high. Yeah, but that's why I lean towards like the 15 goal mark, maybe. And that way, that covers up some of those points see, that you're talking about with Robert Thomas. Honestly,
4: it, it seems like that seems like a lot of goals to me for for a rookie to be expecting. I mean, I'm I'm looking at this right now. The rookie Blues players in the last 20 years that had more than 15 goals in that season were Robbie Fabry, Patrick Berglund. End of list. Like it just hey, doesn't happen, make man. that list.
3: Anybody can make TJ the list. Oshie
4: had 14 in his rookie year. David Perron had 13 Robert Thomas nine. I mean, it's it's so rare for these guys to immediately have that kind of a contribution. The NHL is really hard and being consistent is unbelievably difficult. I mean, even last year when you saw we all saw Jordan Cairo have a breakout season. There was like a one- or two-month lull there after the um, All-Star break where he wasn't the same guy. He wasn't producing at the same level. That's going to happen at some point with Jake Neighbors as well. Maybe he's gangbusters the first month. Teams start circling him on the scouting report. They know now, okay, this is what this guy's trying to do. He's getting to the front end of the net constantly. we got to make sure that that doesn't happen with Jake Neighbors. And then he's going to go into a lull. And then he's going to have to adjust to the way that teams are playing him. We talk about this in baseball all the time. It's going to be really hard for him. So if I had to guess, a little right around 10 goals, 20 assists, 30-ish points, 35 points maybe is probably what I'm expecting out of Jake Neighbors. But here's my kind of follow-up to that. If that's where we're at with Neighbors, and I think we're all at least in similar spots there in terms of the expectations, who is uh, replacing what David Perron gave you last year? Because those goals are going to have to come from somewhere. And I look at what you got last year. I think you're kind of tapped out. I don't know who still had untapped potential from what they produced last year. Like Barbie had a career year. Vladdy had a career year. You had, Win healthy, a very good season out of both David Perron and Braden Shin. Pavel Buchnevich career year. Same thing for Kai Tom. Where are these goals coming from? I just don't see it right now, Hannah.
2: I think it's going to be, it's tough to tell. I think Jordan Kairou is definitely going to have to... Um, up his numbers there was a drought from him and yes he went on he was an all-star all of these great things he showed his potential he's not yet reached his ceiling when I talked to Darren Pang during this season he said that he believes Robert Thomas will end up being a 90 to 100 point guy he was not there this season that means that you're seeing more goal scoring from him on top of assists of course but more goal scoring I think he and Jordan Cairo take on a large bulk of that you had a handful of guys who were 20 plus goal scorers what was it eight seven or Nine eight guys them. right so I think that it's tough but it's it's not one person who replaces this when you don't add depth to the roster and you're just asking younger guys to fill that void that means that it's spread you're spreading the wealth you're not saying hey Jake neighbors come out and be David Perron
3: I I think when we we talk about when when this move occurs is that it, oh they must be going with the youth movement like the Cardinals they're going with the Bulldukes and neighbors they're going to come up they're going to be those guys that contribute I think it's still youth movement but I think the youth movement is the guys that Hannah mentioned it's Cairo and I think it is Thomas because Thomas is going into his age 23 season is going into his age 24 is it season. reasonable
4: though to expect like Thomas last year I'm with you on the points I think the assist numbers could go up this year mm-hmm. in part because I think he's going to be playing with big time offensive players right. all season long this year the goals though it's hard for me to expect more than See, 20 out of him when he doesn't shoot very right. often and Jordan Cairo, like I think he can be more than a thir- a twenty-seven goal guy, which is what he was last year. I don't know how much more than that though. I can realistically expect him to get. Like, is he? A, do we think he's a thirty-five goal scorer? Is that in the range of outcomes this season I, for Cairo?
3: I think, considering what you saw from Cairo, if he doesn't have that two-month lull, yeah, I think he has the potential of a thirty-five goal scorer. And to your point on Robert Thomas. I get it, it's part of his game is he doesn't shoot the puck, but he needs to shoot the puck. I mean, they gave him, what was the $8.125 million in Mm -hmm. his eight-year extension for a reason. And I think part of the reason is because, yeah, I think the assist total is going to go up. I think his goal score, I think his shot is great. I think his shot is a guy that is, like you saw this year, the 20 goals, 25 goals. I think he has another level to his game as well. I I think the youth movement comes, you want to talk about how they're filling the void for Perron's loss. I think it's more points out of Cairo, more points from, uh thomas and then it's going to come from okay where are we going to get those points from jake neighbors we need him to at least take a little chunk of that pie to help us right. fill that void i, I think, think those even, are the three
2: well even ryan o'reilly could tally some more goals during the regular season right a guy like clem coston who they clearly believe in it's unfortunate that alexi torpchenko is going to be out through december but when he returns this is a guy who craig ruby you saw him slowly but surely moving him up during the lineup uh, or throughout the lineup during the playoffs and so i think you're going to see more of that integrated to where it's just spreading the wealth. Jordan Cairo reaching 35 goals not impossible at all, but it will take just very precise, consistent play for him to be able to do that. And we haven't seen him do that yet to this point. So it's a lot of ifs. It's a lot of relying on that if has to happen for this this team to improve.
4: Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to play a game of one's got to go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. Hopefully Tanner doesn't get rid of water this time around. But coming up next, Don't we're diving in into some NFL quick hitters, including a Kyler Murray press conference for the ages and a singing performance that I was completely unprepared for We'll let you hear that next year on 101 ESPN
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN <laughs>
4: Some NFL Quick Hitters. We talked yesterday, Hannah, about the Kyler Murray situation. For anybody that didn't hear it, Kyler Murray had a clause in his contract that basically said, hey, you got to do four hours of homework a week. Got to go to Cliff's house. Got to do your homework. Don't you dare be playing video games. Do not be watching television. And we know you're trying to play Candy Crush on your iPad. Don't do that either. You have to actually be watching the film as you're at home. If we're going to give you this, God only knows how much money in your contract. Well that has since been eliminated from his contract. They got rid of it this morning because Kyler Murray got his feelings hurt. And yesterday, here's what Kyler Murray had to say when he was asked about the clause that was in his contract defending himself. I refuse to, to let my work ethic, my preparation be um, being questioned. You know, I've put an incomprehensible amount of uh, time and, and blood, sweat, tears and work into what I do, uh, whether, whether it's football or baseball, you know, People can't even comprehend the amount of time that it takes to to do two sports at a high level in college. You know, let alone do it. You know, be the first person to do it ever at, at my size. It's like I said, this is um, it's funny, but I, you know, to, to those of you out there that believe that I'd be standing here today in front of y'all without having a work ethic and without preparing, it, I'm, I'm honored that you think that. But um, it doesn't exist. It's not. It's not possible. He then went on to list all of his accomplishments. Hannah said. I was undefeated in high school. Nobody's ever done that before. He brought up his high school record. This would be like on your resume putting your 4.0 GPA like, from high yeah, school. Like, so what are we doing here?
3: Me going back to my prime
0: in high said
4: school. said, I want a Heisman in college. That hasn't been done before by a guy of my size. I then went on to be the number one pick in the NFL and was a top pick in MLB. Nobody's ever done that before. Kyler we get it man you're talented nobody has ever questioned the talent that Kyler Murray possesses in his body that's why at five foot ten he was the number one overall pick like we all get that you're talented nobody's questioning that I'm questioning whether or not you're studying film and when your team your organization put into your contract that you are required to play or to have four hours of film study a week yeah, my employer doesn't have to put into a contract that I need to be prepared for the radio show. If they did, it would probably tell Tanner and Alex or you when you're filling in, I'm not doing my end of the bargain. Like, Kylie, th- there are serious questions to be asked here about your preparedness when you get into the field on Sundays. That's not because I'm wondering about it. Your team told us that with your contract.
2: I'm, I was very concerned. I have a lot of questions. When, when I started reading this, one... How does ownership know that you literally don't watch film on your free time? Like, How did that come into conversation in the first place? Tom Brady says that he averages 40 to 50 hours a week. All they wanted from Kyler was four. All they (laughs) wanted were four four hours. And then I'm confused. I'm like, first of all, the the prequalification to be a quarterback at that level is four hours. Second of all, I mean, the fact that you have to be held to that. I mean, what are you doing or what did you do to where ownership knew you were not watching four hours of film at minimum?
3: I mean, you could easily see it when you saw him in that wild card game where he didn't even know what was happening to him. And the second half collapses now make all the sense in the world for the Cardinals, where teams make the adjustment that Kyler probably saw in in, uh, camp when he's looking at film, but not that they'd recently seen just a terrible look for Kyler Murray. All right. That's
4: the bad that happened yesterday in the NFL. There was also some good Jordan Davis has been Alex's Alex Ferrario's draft crush for the last, what would you say? Nine months, 10 it's months, a weird
3: bromance, but yeah,
4: Jordan Davis is six foot five, 360 pounds. I do believe ran like a four, at the NFL draft. Now he is a Philadelphia Eagle. And the way that this works is at mini camp and then into training camp. typically, You'll have rookies that are forced to do things that they otherwise would not be forced to do. So one of the things that tends to happen is that they have to sing in front of the entire team. And so Jordan Davis was asked to do exactly that yesterday at Eagles Camp, and they sent out the video of Jordan Davis's performance. I gotta be honest, Tana, I wasn't prepared for this.
0: I'm
1: loving Mary! Okay, she's my main thing! She makes
0: me feel alright! Like she makes my heart sing. Get it.
4: I'm actually in with Alex Ferrario now. I was hesitant. That was a selling point? I'm in. I love this guy. What can't Jordan Davis do? Are you kidding me?
2: This is really good. That's really, really good. I mean, I love a good performance like that. What can you do?
4: This guy, I I don't know where he sings in his free time, but I want to go to the church where he's a part of the choir. That, Maybe that's a my Do you life? think
2: he karaoke's around town? Oh, for
4: sure. I, when Double D's was around here in St. Louis, Carson's? I have to imagine he would have, have been you ever a, a frequenter. Carson's. That's... Is that a South County thing?
2: <laughs> no, it's not.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not familiar with Carson's. Is this in what's It's the... not in Dexter either. It's <laughs> literally in
2: Sulark.
4: Are you a frequenter over there, Tanner?
0: No. You get no, dates?
3: No, no.
4: At Car- Carson's? Carson's. I've never even heard of Carson's. I, I'm Come not familiar on. with their work either, honestly. Uh, I was a double double D's guy, the the karaoke bar. <laughs> clarify here, just to make sure that we're uh, all on the yeah. same page. Um, <laughs> I I could not be more all in on Jordan Davis, and I hope he has 27 sacks this year for the Eagles.
2: Just Whoa. for that reason. J- just for this. Just because he's this good at performance
4: singing. alone. Honestly, I.
2: If you have the team rolling behind you, everyone's clapping. And along. he was
4: into it. Sometimes you see these, and the guys are clearly like have got some stage fright or they're not really into it. They don't want to be there. This guy was getting it. He was into his performance. There was some there was some preparation for this. Kyler Murray puts less than four hours a week of preparation it's into Dave the Sunday. Four hours on that he song. spent four hours on this song, <laughs> choosing which one to go with, making sure it was going to be a crowd pleaser. That was well done. Kyler. By him.
3: Kyler's the guy that shows up, doesn't even know what song he's singing. That's Kyler. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like,
4: "Ah, guys, I don't
3: really know if I want to start singing the Halo theme song. That's what Kyler does. Oh, the only okay. one he knows.
4: Coming up next, let's play a game of one's got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go here on BK and
1: Ferrario. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN.
7: out that that big pen.
4: Alongside Hannah Yates for one more segment. And Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101 ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs, Tire, and Auto Centers. The way that this works, you give us four options within a specific category. We'll tell you which one we are getting rid of. As an example, this one comes from the 314. One's gotta go Cardinals Trade Deadline Acquisitions. Larry Walker. Scott Rowland, Woody Williams, or Matt Holiday? Man, a lot of these are from quite a while ago, which I think speaks to the deadline What's, pessimism uh, here in St. Louis.
3: What's weird about this, too, is I recognize a lot of those trade deadline acquisitions, but don't know movies during that time frame. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. I, I think Woody Williams is the one that's got to go. I mean, Larry Walker was awesome Hall of Famer, Matt Holiday, Cardinals Hall of Famer. Who was the other? Oh, Scott Rowland mm-hmm. should be an MLB Hall of Famer. Uh, so I no offense, Woody Williams, but I think you're the easy choice here. Woody you gotta Williams go. was yeah. really good. It was for good. For a couple of years here in St. Louis. Man, he accomplished okay. nothing to those other three. That's fair.
2: I, I mean, yes, that's the obvious answer. Big fans of Matt Holiday and Scott Rowland. Had the Scott Rowland t-shirt growing up. Big fan.
4: Yeah, I, I think that's the obvious answer here, unfortunately. that I would like to give it more thought there's really no more thought to give although this is not probably giving woody williams the proper credit he was quite good while he was here in st louis 65780 is your comfort service text line for one's gotta go all right one's gotta go young blues edition scott perunovich jake neighbors zachary Bolduke, or what's that young goalie's name nellis no the other one uh hofer joel hofer
2: oh joel hofer Mm. Hofer,
4: Bolduc, Neighbors, or Perunovic? One's got to go.
2: I'm going Joel Hofer. And and that's not its not because we have stacked talent at the goalie position, <laughs> but it's because I have faith in what the others will do. We've seen them in a larger sample size at the NHL level of taking a team to the next level, and that's where I'm going.
3: See, I think I'm going to go with Scott Perunovic because I think you have him and Tori Krug. And honestly, I don't like hearing the trade rumors of Tory Krug because I think Tory Krug's a great blue. And he's, I hate hearing him in the salary dump conversations. And Scott Prunovich just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Scott th- Prunovich on the power
2: play, though. Eh, Tory Krug on the power play, though. I take Scott.
3: Uh, Ooh, that's spicy. I
4: like that. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about Hofer? You're around this team a lot.
2: No, I mean, Joel Hofer, he was good. Like, he's a good goaltender. He's he's taller. I don't know his exact height, but he's taller than the goalies we have right now um, in terms of height. I haven't seen him play a ton. Like, the only times I was super familiarized with him was in camp last year to where we were talking about him enough to where it seemed like hey, this is a viable option to where if Billy Huso got hurt as the backup. And that's when entering the season, Billy Huso was projected to be the backup. That's before he took over for Jordan Biddington. Joel Hofer was the next guy up. That's been kind of the mentality in the organization from my standpoint. And so that was even the talk of the town this year um, before they acquired a new backup goalie. And so I think he's kind of the guy that they have their eyes set on. He was just very young as well.
4: But I'm going Perinovich is the one that's got to go.
3: She gave you that long explanation, then you decided to keep Hofer? Yeah. I thought you were looking for a reason to get rid of him.
2: No, 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 I understand Perunovic from the injury standpoint, though, because that's really been the only one who's been injured out of everyone that's been listed.
3: And because I
4: I just don't know what his spot is on this team. Like, I don't think he's a top four defenseman because of the potential defensive liabilities there. And if you're having him in your third pairing, can you have both Krug and Perunovic in this lineup? I, I don't know. That's a lot of... It's a lack of size that I'm not sure. And at that point, you've got Letty, Perunovic, and uh, Krug in your lineup. There's some overlap there as well in terms of what they bring to the table. So I think I would go Perunovic on this. I think it's more likely that they would try to move Krug as opposed to Perunovic potentially in terms of because of the contract. But I would say he would be the one that I would get rid of. All right. One's got to go in a trade for the Cardinals. Gonna be tough. Walker, Win, Gorman, or Carlson? Which one's gotta go? Walker, Win, Gorman, or Carlson?
2: I'm going to Win. One's gotta go. Okay, good. I mean, the, just in terms of what we've seen, you know, we know what Gorman can potentially bring. We know what Carlson. Can potentially bring. We've heard a lot about what Walker can potentially bring. Mason Win seems really great, but we don't really know the end result of of what his ceiling is. That's not to say it's the worst option by any means, but that's where I'm headed.
3: I think I'm going to win as well. I I know we had kyle McDaniel on earlier and said he could be a top, was a top ten prospect yeah. in all of baseball. um Apparently, he sounds like he could have been a really good starting pitcher, so that would have been nice. <laughs> um, I just don't see it from Wynn when I, again, I saw him in person. Again, it was such a small sample size. There's only two games. I I didn't see it where it stood out to me where I was like, yeah, that guy's going to be an offensive, productive shortstop. Like, he looks great defensively. Don't get me wrong. Like, he's got incredible range and an incredible arm. I just did not see it at the plate. So I think I'm going to get rid of Wynn. I, I like the potential power of Nolan Gorman. You know my motto, slug baby slug. So he fits into that. Carlson and Walker are untouchables for me.
4: Yeah, I'm with you on Carlson and Walker. I'm going to value a potential 270 hitter at shortstop who plays excellent defense more than I am the power hitting second baseman. So one's got to go for me is Nolan Gorman. That would Yeah, be you, the one that you would, would like.
3: like an average player, huh? Yeah.
4: One's got to go. Least favorite workouts edition. All of them. <laughs> Leg day working out has got to go for Tanner. Yeah. Le- working I'm out in water. Those two feel like they're related. <laughs> Leg day long distance running sprints or yoga which one's gotta go hannah leg day long distance running sprinting or yoga
2: i'm going yoga Oh, I like to run. I enjoy running, so this might put me in an odd category. But I, I get so bored doing yoga, and that that sounds bad. But I like have to do things that are more up tempo, or I'm immediately I'm like, if I, if I get distracted at all, I'm not working out. So I can't have the slow pace. See, I would get.
3: I've never really done yoga, so I'm, it's harder for me to <laughs> That's vote. That's not way. surprising. <laughs> that checks out. That's fair. But I would say long running because I I find that to be boring and i can't like find a podcast or just listen to music to get That's me my through favorite it
2: favorite thing to oh, do i hate
3: i hate doing long
4: turn running. on
2: a podcast and go for a five mile run my favorite the thing.
4: absolute best that is what i'm planning to do later on this afternoon um for
3: me you should vote for yoga because of your have uh, you seen happening. my legs <laughs> have i, seen your I legs? have chicken legs <laughs> it doesn't
4: go well for me i try i do my very best it's just not happening. So for me, I would probably say leg day is the one that's got to go. Yoga is very good for me. My hips. You might...
3: You almost overslept to come into work because of yoga.
4: I understand. But that that's means that I was doing it yoga. Go. It's very good for me. It helps me, even though sometimes it makes me want to cry. Um, but <laughs> leg day is the one that's got to go for me. I I'm Have you done hot that.
2: yoga? That's I even worse. Not.
4: I have not. And I don't plan to. I do yoga at my house where nobody else can see what is going wrong. It's
2: like. 105 degrees for hot yoga And I was like how do people breathe in this
4: We'll finish out the week on this Apparently there's a new thing where you get super high And do yoga together That's like a new trend that's taking place Nationally That is something that I just want to be a fly on the wall to watch Because that sounds super entertaining
2: I've always wanted to see the goat yoga the what? goat, the, a live goat yeah, stands on your back and you do yoga with live goats. Yes. <laughs> Have you not seen that? That like,
4: feels like it ends poorly when for you the do goat. Like a, I think it's like <laughs> when you do not, like...
3: All the different positions, they'll pick up a goat and like put it on your yeah, back. Yeah, they put the goat on your I've back. I've seen them do it with uh, puppies too. That one sounds more fun than yes, with. Yes, they uh, have puppy goats. yoga. All of this sounds so dangerous. <laughs> oh yeah, but being high and doing yoga it sounds like a great combo. <laughs> At least the only person that gets injured in that situation is
4: you. Somebody says to finish out the show this week. BK's legs are thinner than our chances <laughs> of getting Juan Soto. Four Hannah Yates of KSDK. It's been great to have you in this week as we've been filling in Thanks, for Alex guys. Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm I'm Brandon Kylie. The Fast Lane's coming up next. I promise you they won't be talking about getting high while they're doing yoga here on 101 ESPN.
1: You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health.